Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Recording live in studio, here's Nick and Matt. What's up, everybody? Nick said he was going to take this intro, but we had some chaos on our side. Literally, Nick, you don't know what's happening over here right now. We- <laughs> I absolutely do not. Welcome to the show, episode 78. Nick, I was feverishly clicking up till the literal last second, and I'm like, I just got to take it. So, no, totally Woo. fine. Well, we're on episode 78, Matt. We got Ben running the show now, internship Ben or intern Ben. We got Evan in studio tonight. We've got you in studio tonight. And then we got me at my girlfriend's house with an actual microphone. So hopefully audio and video quality on my side are pretty good. Yeah, I mean, that's up to you. We can only do so much. But yeah, you're doing a good job. You got that microphone going now. Uh, hey, we got Evan in studio. So we'll say hi to Evan. And, How's it going, everyone? And Ben on, the, ben on the, the switch controls tonight, Ben. How's it going? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Good. So... Um, we got a lot to talk about and it's coming. There's actually disc golf events to talk about beyond just like one little, like, what was it? The Maricopa? Is that what we talked about last week? Or no, it was the La Mirada. That's right. And so we got more to talk about than just that, including there was an all-star event, the wintertime open that Paul Macbeth usually played at. Is that true? Do you have any stats real quick or is that coming up later? Like, did Paul play that event a lot? Do you know? He played it a lot. I want to say like 13 times, but hasn't played it since that first year he was with Discraft, remember? That's right. Nick, have well, you Yeah, I was going to say he played it that one year, I think when he first signed with Discraft because it was the wintertime open presented by Paul Macbeth. So he literally presented his own tournament. (laughs) Oh, really? That's right, Nick. What else do you remember about that? Did he win that year? Uh, I want to say Adam Hammes won it that year. Um, I think he beat Austin Hannum coming down the wire. I think Austin threw an errant tee shot on hole eight. No, I'm sorry, an up shot that went out of bounds on hole 18. But Evan, I'm going to need you to correct me if I'm wrong because I don't want Paul texting me being like, no, I won it that year because I feel like Oh, now I'm kind of losing my train of thought. I can't remember who won it that year. It might have been 20. I thought it was 2019 that Adam won it, but I'm pretty sure that year it was presented by Paul Macbeth. But we can obviously go back into the PDGA stats and check that out. Yeah, you're going to need to give me a minute or so to pull That's back okay. Up. We'll give you a minute. Right. Minutes, but like I, a minute yeah. man, <laughs> Evan. Yeah. Um. So, all right. So we're going to talk about wintertime open a little bit. Um, I already mentioned all-star events and I want to say there were some really fantastic parts that weekend, but let's go ahead and just talk about, because last week we had Jackie Chen on, we got a lot of, a lot of great responses and feedback from everybody that how much they appreciated that. Some thought it was in a lot of ways groundbreaking for, you know, podcast interviews. And that's not to say that we did an excellent job with like the interview, although I think we do our best. It's to say that the ability of this day and age to interview somebody that's in a different culture, different language, and to bring that to understand somebody else's experience is really cool. And people really appreciated that. So we're, we'll see what else we can, we can do with um, those types of interviews. It was not easy. Um, Nick, did you learn any, any words in Mandarin? <laughs> No, I uh, not off the top of my head, but I could always tell when he was saying like, oh, did you get that? Or do you want me to actually say it? Mike, who was the uh, translator, he would ask Jackie, be like, did you understand that? Or do you want me to say it? And so every so often, Jackie would understand, you know, depending on how long or, 
you know, long the question was pretty much versus if it was a short and sweet one. But it was really, really fun. It was actually probably one of my favorite interviews to conduct in the sense of I love listening to that style of language. And so for me, it was really cool to be in person. And Mike, the translator, was such a great guy and like could speak English so well and speak Mandarin so well that it, it just made everything so smooth. It it hurt my head in some ways to think that like he's hearing and he's able to think in English as he's hearing in Mandarin. Like there was a couple times where he's like, okay, <laughs> like how am I going to say this? Yeah. But, and he's doing it in like first person, like acting as if he was mm-hmm. Jackie for a while, which is really mm-hmm. incredible too. So that was yeah. really neat. I bring that up because, uh, and by the way, ni hao, Nick, ni hao. That's a hello in Mandarin. So ni hao. We should have came on like that. Ni hao, episode seven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I should have I should have brushed up on it. I got my Duolingo in. Just, Nick just goes off the handle, just like talking Mandarin. <laughs> there's a, there's this really cool guy on Facebook. I watch a couple of his clips every so often, but he speaks Chinese very, very fluently. And so he'll go into these little hole-in-the-wall Chinese places, and he'll order it in their language. And they're all just kind of like shocked they're like oh my gosh that sounds so good and so it's really really cool it's actually japanese is one of the languages that i really really want to learn um i just haven't dedicated any time to it but i like watching a lot of japanese shows and i'm an anime kind of guy i love watching a good old anime and i love watching them in japanese i think it's a better experience in a sense well I don't know. I don't, I don't think I've ever really, I know anime. I don't think I've ever really watched it. My sons are now just starting to get back into Pokemon. Is that like a, it's a resurgence of Pokemon. I think Ben, yeah. you're the youngest one here. Is that true? hundred percent resurgence. All the Pokemon cards are like 10 times the value. They were a couple of years ago. That's because a lot of popular YouTubers are um, getting on the trend of buying those expensive cards. We're, were Pokemons before your time? Like, or were no. you collecting them when you were a kid? Yeah, okay. it was. So I want to say when I was born, that's when it probably started. <laughs> but it was still during my time when I was like six, seven. Okay. The whole whole craze of the cards. Oh, that's so cool. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and jump right into uh, this awesome opportunity you guys have to win some amazing di- dyed discs. How do you want to win these? They are through, and I'll just put it up here. If you want to go full screen, Ben, Capital Discs. This disc, by the way, is going to get thrown as soon as we're done like talking about Cap, which will never happen. So I need to send, I need them to send me some more so I can bag these. Um, but Capital Discs is doing amazing things for the sport. Right now, they are located in New York, but the, all of New England benefits from their presence. Capital Disc, here's a, a clean-looking sticker. Come on, there's the focus. Capital Disc. May the trees be ever in your favor. They are doing awesome things for the local scene, but regionally as well. In fact, uh, the sweatshirt I'm wearing, Capital Discs Open. I got to play in that event last year. They're doing it again in August, and it was fantastic. Um, I don't know. I don't want to go on and on. I didn't play well at that event. I think we talked about that this last year, Evan, and you said it was like my worst performance ever. I think think. it was your second worst, if I'm remembering right. (laughs) The second worst in the last 10 years. So that says nothing about the event's quality. In fact, I've been to a lot of pro tour events. I've been to a few silver series. And I would say the quality of this event was just tapping that. Like silver series. I don't know if the plans are going to be for that to ever happen, but it's a big event. He's doing awesome things over there. Capital Disc. If you go to CapitalDisc.com, use Nick and Matt, you get 10% off your order uh, of anything they have there, which includes... 
apparel. They got some really sweet looking like jackets, pullover jackets, hoodies, shirts, um, hats. They've got all that stuff. And guess what, Evan? Last week, um, and I don't know if Ben did, everyone went over and they liked Capital Discs Instagram. Nice. And so they easily surpassed the 3,000 that we were hoping to get them to for a giveaway. So I started this whole talk off by saying that they would get a custom dyed disc, but we're not talking like just like generic. We're talking about like some of the best dyes out there possible. Um, in fact, let me see if I can pull up live here. Keep that camera up, Ben. This is my personal phone. No one text me right at this time. So see that beauty of a disc right there? That is not the one you're going to win. I already bought that one. But Daddy Mac Dies is like collaborating with Jeremy Whitaker and Capital Disc, and they're going to give that away, two of those, to somebody who follows their page. Go over and check out Capital Disc right now. Find out how you can win those. All you got to do is follow? It, it, there's going to be instructions. You know, okay. it's usually probably something like, hey, tag somebody kind of thing. But yes, you have to go over there to check it out. But they've already reached the number. So if you're, if you're not in now, do it now, because I think he's posting it very soon here. Uh, so go check that out. You get the Daddy Mac dies. And like I said, another thing that happened, Evan, we made, do you, do you know uh, Casey Delapena, FPO player here in New England? Yeah, I've heard of her, yep. Okay, they sponsored her as their FPO athlete, and they had a tour series, if you or signature series for her, that they are supporting her touring efforts. And everybody went over and almost bought them out. So there's only a select amount left. If you'd like to support Casey Delapena, and Capital Discs, go over there and finish buying them out. Nick and Matt, we can do it. Use Nick and Matt code. Let them know you're, you're there from us. And all I can say is they're doing really good things. Jeremy's a great guy. Um, but besides that, I was thinking today, you can support three disc golf ventures, if you will. If you support him, it supports us. It supports Casey Delapena and the whole lo local region. What's better than spending 20 bucks to do all of that? Or, or 40 or 100, whatever you want, 1,000 bucks. But, and then I'll just tease you with this. August, I think it's in the middle of August. They're running the Capital Disc Open again. $10,000 added cash. Ooh, is that's nice. $10,000 yeah, added insane. cash. So Nick's going to be flying up for that one. He's like, I got to win. I got to win. Yeah. I'll actually, for the most part, I'm, let's see. I don't even know where I'm at. That might be Ledgestone or Kentucky, middle of August. Uh, but I know... Jeremy and I talked about that one. I definitely want to make sure that I have it on the schedule to make that a priority to go to. I just know at the end of August, for the most part, I'll probably be in Kansas because I think the last weekend of August going into September is the world championships. So, so but here, I got to go out to Kansas from there. It's like Katrina Allen used to say. I think she used to call those tournaments where nobody else would show up and there'd be like 10 grand added. She would be like, that's my honey hole. Like, she's like, yeah. I know I can travel to that event and like nobody so, else is there, but I can win the money. So Nick, you need to start yeah, hitting these. So events. no, yeah, I need to hit those, but we can't promote them. I, I want to make sure that no one wants to go to this event except for, <laughs> you know, a select few people, you know, sorry, Jeremy, but I'm not, you know, I can't promote it. I got, I got to try and go up there and win. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyways, but maybe if you promote no, it enough, kidding. it'll double the cash and you win. It's twenty grand added yeah, or something, you know? Exactly. That that would be that would be ideal. So let's see. He just wrote in August nineteenth through twenty one. Okay. Um, I don't I don't know what's going on then. Is that one? I think that's I two don't know. weekends is that Des Moines? before Worlds. So I think Des Moines would be about right. That'd be I was my guess. Say, is that is Des, Moines? Des Moines? All right. Okay. Well, sorry, Des Moines. <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> Nick's like, I can win so much money. So 
go to yeah. the capital disc again and use our code. You get money off and it supports us, supports them, it supports everything that I told you. It's, it's grassroots. Okay. Do that. Uh, we're very proud to, uh, to promote them here. We're grateful for their partnership. Um, and with that being said, uh, I hope someone that listens to our show wins those die, ma- uh, those dyed discs, uh, daddy Mac dies. They're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Probably right yeah. up there with the best really I've ever cool. seen. Okay. Yeah. Um, thank you. Capital discs. All right. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about winter time open. Yeah. You want me to hit me with the s- we- stats? Yes. I want, I want to say something just really quick. Um, I do want to give a shout out real quick to Eagle McMahon. He's actually in the chat right now, hanging out, talking to some peeps. So shout out to Eagle. Thanks for watching the show. Hope whatever you're doing, you're having a good time at it. That was a sick putt on the last hole of the all-star event, but we're going to talk about that later. Anyways, winter time open. It wasn't even a putt. Yes, we'll talk about that later. Okay, Evan, give us the, give us the recap. Um, well, I was quick history lesson. Uh, Paul McBeth, uh, has won nine times the winter time open most recently in 2020. He won seven in a row from 2011 to 2017. Uh, Adam Hammes did win in 2019, and that was the year that Paul switched to Discraft. Um, so 2020, I think Dion Arlen, actually one of the other Statmando guys, came into the chat. Was it 2020 that the Wintertime Open was presented by Paul Macbeth? And then I think he won it that year. <laughs> yeah, I think it's so funny. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was uh, 2020. I know Dion 2020 said it was by Paul Macbeth, yeah. Yeah. 2019 yeah, yeah. was Supreme Flight. It's it's so uh, I don't know what the right word is. Dirty. <laughs> it's so uh, that's, that's a power move, right? I was gonna there. say that's the other Dude, side right? of it too. So yeah. filthy, nasty. Like I'm just gonna but, sponsor it and win it, and like and then you win it. Because imagine if Hamas came in and won that, like <laughs> sponsored by Paul McBeth. Like, uh that'd be so yeah. funny. Like, uh from a Paul's uh, point of view, but hilarious for everyone else. Sorry, Paul. It'd be great, yeah, but exactly. it didn't happen. So he could hand him the check. Like here, it's from me specifically. <laughs> But ahead, to get yeah. into this year's, though, yeah. um, we talked about him last week. Uh, Jacob uh, Cortis. Am I pronouncing that right? But yes, as I think it's just Jacob him, Curtis. Just Cortis. 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 Yeah. Well, you guys it's... call him Cupcake, though. So you can just say <laughs> Jacob <laughs> Cupcake, Cupcake, whatever. He yeah. digs it down Paul back cupcake. to back, uh, back to back weekends, too, um, which I did some. I, I, was, yes. I was digging deep to look into the, the history of La Mirada. Uh, La Mirada Open, La Mirada Cup, I believe, uh, Golden State Challenge, classic, classic. Uh, all these events at La Mirada and trying to figure out when it was. But uh, it's amazing that you win both La Mirada and Wintertime Open back to back. Paul McBeth is the most recent person to do that in 2016. He had both, did both of that. So Cupcake now is in the same grouping as Paul McBeth, which is pretty cool. Um, but he takes it down. Luke Sampson finished in second. Uh, and then notably Jackie Chen, this was his second event in the U S he finished fifth, uh, averaging a 10 Oh five or 10 Oh five, I guess, uh, 1005 rating at this event. So he's in the U S for just about a week or just a little over a week. And he went, this is a stat. He went from like averaging like the nine fifty six or somewhere in that window to averaging over a thousand. Is it the course type? Is it the time in the U.S., which isn't that long? Is he on that pace to show you? And, Nick, he threw down 1,000, almost 30 rated round. Mm-hmm. This is why ratings are important. So we can do this basic talk of someone traveling from, you know, Taiwan to here. Like, we need to be able to have, like, some level to talk about. And he's on the right track. It, to put down 1,030 is significant. Right, Nick? I mean, it is. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Putting down a 10-30 round is a very, very good thing. I think he was only a couple strokes off the lead after the first round. So putting he, up 10-30 in general, it puts you in a great spot at a lot of events. It was tied for the hot round in round one. Oh, okay. good. Tied for the hot round then. And then he ended fifth. So good for him. I wanted to just touch on that. Good for him. Uh, I, I, I'm excited to see what happens at Vegas. Does he have the distance to keep up? I don't know his game that well. Tell us a little bit. You said Jacob Cordes. Um, any other notables for there? This is a second win. Do we have any other stats for him in general, like just as a player? Well, I, I'm going off of memory here because okay. I looked it up last week, but I believe um, last week was his first time winning a multi-round event with like multiple thousand-rated players in the field. So he does it again, but this one was a three-rounder, which I believe is his first three-round MPO win, um, but definitely his first three-round MPO win with multiple thousand-rated players in the field. Um, so everything looking up for uh, for a cupcake. Um, and I mean, that's, I think that's all I got on him. I mean, 1059, okay. that's, that's pretty good. I'll quickly check to see if that's his best, uh, rating of all, uh, best of all round time. rating of all no, time. He, no, he, he shot a 1090 at Shelly Sharp. He was, uh, the <sighs> second or third round. He oh shot 1090 my. at Shelly Sharp. Wow. Okay. I think, I think it was last round. He shot either course record or tied for it. Cause I know he beat Kale's round by one. So it was like a 1090. Yeah, you were right. A 1090 at the uh, 2020. Oh, that was that was a little earlier this year. We must have talked about it. But that's <laughs> yeah, crazy no, we did. that we did. Yeah, from 1090 to 1059, like that's that's a pretty wide gap to have your best round rating be that high, to then be that low. Like of all the people in the 1090 club, like your second best round rating, who has like the <laughs> lowest? Like that that'd be cool to look up. Did I inspire? Mm -hmm. Did I inspire Jacob Cordis last week when I said? We just don't have enough information. I said, is it a flash in the pan? I said something along those lines. And Nick, did he text you or message you? Yeah, he shot me a message. Uh, I think it was today on Instagram, actually, where he <laughs> said, tell Matt it wasn't one out of a thousand or something. And so, you know, it's good. Kind of back, back up the little trash talk he's given back and forth with the Nick and Matt show. Uh, I know. So if you guys don't really know Cupcake, Jacob Curtis, growing up, he's got massive power. He's a younger kid, too. Um, he was an Innova sponsored athlete for a number of years and actually just switched sponsors. I'm not, I don't remember the name of his new one, but it's not a major disc manufacturer. So I'm pretty sure he's throwing a pretty mixed bag right now. And I think just getting comfort. I know he's a California boy, so they have a pretty good off season weather wise. I'd see him on Instagram. He, you know, is practicing almost every single day. One of the courses nearby him, they got lights set up at nighttime. So he's out, you know, nine, 10 at night and he's able to play disc golf. So definitely taking advantage of that. Right. And so we want to shout out, first of all, Jacob is in the chat. He hasn't corrected us yet, has he, on how he says his last name? But that's a whole nother thing. So he's in the chat. Eagle's he's in the cupcake. chat. Um, the chat's like really going crazy. We don't even have that many people live right now. We're actually on a lower night for us. But the chat is as epic as ever. Jacob says... He, he was referring to Jackie's, this is on the ground experience, by the way. He said, Jackie said he's finally getting his discs dialed in with the altitude difference. So Jackie apparently is probably realizing how things fly in different altitudes. So that's good to hear. That's a part of it. And then Jacob says in the chat that he went 1040, 1010, 1038, 1040 for his event averages this year. So he's starting out hot. All right. Um, what do you, what do you have to say about that? That's consistency so far, Nick, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, just that comfortability to be able to go out in a very solid group of players and go out and win a, these bigger events, full day events, 
um, is awesome. And I will say um, the 1040.33 uh, average round rating uh, at the wintertime open for Cupcake was his best of his career. Best um, of mm-hmm. his career. His top three are actually wintertime La Mirada last week and Shelly Sharp uh, in January. Yeah. Well, good luck for him. I have a recollection and a memory of him as a junior player. Did we talk about at all where the name Cupcake came from? My understanding is that every time he was around or Paul Macbeth, remember on camera, I think Paul Macbeth got a cupcake in his face because like he liked cupcakes so much or something. So I think, I think Paul gave him that nickname. I could be wrong, yeah, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. Sure. That's yeah. I think pretty that's sure. And like I said, I've out. seen it on camera where I'm pretty sure he got a cupcake to the face too. So like in nice. and, and like after the memorial or something along those lines. So congratulations to him. His dad had a large interest in my son's uh, junior, you know, track as well. And so like, there's been some connection there, but it's good to see. I've never actually met him in person, but maybe we'll be able to do that when he hits the tour full time and comes out to Maple Hill. Mm-hmm. All right. And then just want to give a quick shout out to Melody Wable. She's actually someone you might not know of, but I do recognize the name from years ago, but she did win the FPO side, cashing $310. So good for Melody. Yeah, good, good for Melody. All right. So without further delay, uh, we've lined up a special guest tonight who we actually tried to line up last season. Uh, he is having uh, what most would consider a pretty solid season or year i'm trying to decide how to say it because he didn't play all of the events but we lined him up we finally got back to him he was too busy for us last time (laughs) but we we've lined him up (laughs) and uh, we're excited to have him here so let's go ahead and bring him in Corey ellis everybody Corey ellis of team discraft uh nick a partner on team discraft how's it going Corey? Mm -hmm. pretty good guys how you doing hanging out (laughs) so nick and Corey, have you guys ever played together before yeah, we played at, where was it? I can't remember. Uh, I want to say Iron Hill. Nick, was it Iron Hill? Nick is frozen or he's muted <laughs> or wit. Nick, can you hear us? That's so funny. <laughs> okay. Uh, can you hear us, Corey? Yeah, I can hear you guys. Okay. Can well, you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. I don't know what's going on with Nick. He says his internet went out for no good reason. So we'll just leave him frozen up there for now. We'll see what happens here in a minute. Um, so let's get let's get into it. People don't need to hear us talk about Nick's internet. Um, so last season, tell us, how many events did you play? And were you satisfied with your performance last season? Uh, well, as far as the Pro Tour goes, I believe I only got to play five events. And I would have to say that Overall, I was satisfied. Uh, I had a pretty rough one round at uh, Northwoods Black, uh, which I think uh, if you've ever played the course, you kind of understand that can happen pretty easily out there. Uh, (laughs) It's uh, it's pretty tough, honestly. But uh, I finished third at D-Globe, and... um, Honestly, I uh, I had no idea what I was shooting the like the entire time. I tried not to even pay attention to the scores. And so, if you watch the gatekeeper coverage, uh, I knew I had a putt on the last hole, and I knew it was close. You know, I I wasn't aware of what uh, 
Eagle and Kyle were shooting at the time. So I, I thought that that putt could potentially be for the win. And I was super nervous because when you walk up that hill at Deaglow, like your legs are, you know, it's a steep hill. Your legs are killing you and you've, it's been a long round and it was hot, you know, and you get up there and, and then you're like, oh, I have a 35, 40 footer, you know, potentially for the win. I was, uh, I was pretty pumped. Yeah, and uh, welcome back to the show, Nick. We were we thought you were deaf for a little bit. Yeah, I don't know why <laughs> That's okay. I got got booted, but I think I'm back. All right, so cool. I just asked how his performance so. was. How would you rate? <laughs> I got the end of that. Okay, right. one through ten, Corey. One through ten. How do you rate your experience or not experience your performances last year? If you had to give it an overall one through ten, ten being amazing, the best ever. Uh, I would say a solid seven, six and a half. Okay. And so now you've yeah. announced recently and Discraft has promoted you, um, as I say promoted, promoted as in like promotional efforts of do video and an introduction to you on the team. Um, what are your plans for this year? Are you hitting it way harder? You said you wanted to make the elite team. So what does this year look like? Uh, I'll be touring full time uh, all year long, you know, for for the first time. You know, I've tried to just play tournaments pick and choose where you know i could make the most money uh stay on this side of the country for the most part but uh this year i'm going to try and and play pretty much everything uh the the only one i'm really skeptical about is otb right now uh just because uh i'm playing ddo and then i'm coming back towards uh this side of the country and playing the lexington open it's an a tier in Lexington, Kentucky. And then it's like a week or two um, is the OTB. And I, I haven't decided whether or not I'm going to fly there and then fly back and then drive or just skip it all together and then head to Portland. But uh, overall, yeah, I'm going to be playing everything. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, it's tough. The California stuff, it's such a an expensive trip. And I mean, for you, you're a big power player. You have an awesome standstill game. You have an awesome power game distance wise and everything. You're, you know, clearly an incredible putter. So likelihood of you doing well is good at those events. But just the kind of scheduling, it always seems like California is the toughest one. And that's why I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm probably not doing California this year. But, you know, next year, I'd like to eventually get out to California, even just to hang out there. But it just always seems like it's on a tough part of the schedule. For sure. Uh, another reason I don't want to go to California is I've never been, not yet anyway, and uh, my fiance really wants to go to California, so I, I would kind of hate to ruin that you know, experience of us both not to get to go at the same time. Exactly. Okay. I just had this like clash of thoughts in my head as soon as you said fiance so here here's the deal it's valentine's day at the the day of this recording is valentine's day <laughs> so those who are listening later are gonna be like what's the big deal but Corey just took time out from his valentine's day hopefully not you know with an angry fiance on the other side but we really do appreciate it um that you did this for us um so 2021 number one putter that's cl classified a little bit like how they clarify that but Tell us about that. Is putting the strongest part of your game? Uh, I would like to think so. Um, I honestly, throughout my entire life, I've been playing disc golf. You know, I started when I was five years old and kind of just didn't get into tournaments until I was a little older. 
And that was the main thing I always struggled in was putting. And, and uh, it's kind of funny where I'm from. There's a three-time world champion, Johnny Sias and hall of famer. If anybody knows about Johnny, he's considered one of the greatest putters of all time. And still is, honestly, he still, if you're off your game and you're playing a woods course, he'll out put you. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I kind of I feel like I had to live up, you know, to the, the hype of being from West Virginia and being a good putter because Johnny, you know, brought the sport of disc golf to West Virginia and uh, just trying to, you know, practice as much as I can and be consistent. I think uh, that's where you get make up a lot of strokes is on the putting green. I think nobody's going to argue with that. So, mm-hmm. and what's your what's your putter of choice? Uh, I really like the Rubber Blend Challengers. Uh, yeah, the the Nate Doss ones, the white ones. Oh, nice. Not, yep. Not the new ones that uh, with the black rubber. Mm-hmm. I've been messing with the uh, the more recent uh, Tim Barham ones. Shout out to Tim. Uh, they are uh, they're they're in the you know the the mix for uh, potential to to use this season, but we'll see. And what do you think? What what clicked for you when it came to putting? Because I think one of the biggest issues that a lot of players have, a, a lot of questions people will ask me is, you know, how do you get to that thousand rated point? And a big thing of that is becoming a good putter. Like what what made you a good putter and what clicked? I know you've actually said on your Instagram stories before, make sure you really get your legs involved with it. But like to you personally, what do you think was that one thing that really clicked? And then what's your practice routine like with putting? Uh, honestly, it all comes back to practice. So your mental side of it is is where all your putting is. Johnny used to always say that uh, putting is uh, 80% mental, mental and only 20% physical. Because once you develop whatever your motion is and whatever your routine is, as long as you stick with that, and you believe you're going to make the putt, a lot of times you're going to make the putt. If you have any doubt in your mind that you're going to miss, no matter how close it is, 15, 20 feet, you're going to miss. I've done it so many times. I've just walked up and talked myself out of putts. Mm-hmm. Man. So, But for my practice routine, I would have to say that I try to stay with five putters to 10 putters. Just depends on if I'm like out in the yard or if I'm out of course. But I won't putt for more than 20 minutes at a time and uh, take it about a 15-minute break in between that. And that way you optimize, you know, you're staying in it mentally. So mm-hmm. you're, all your focus is in for that 20 minutes. And, it, and I think that really helps with uh, the, consi- the consistency. Yeah, no doubt. And when you're doing putting practice, are you going from 10 feet to 30 feet, 20 feet to 50 feet? Like, do you practice long long putts or do you try to keep it inside the circle and keep developing that muscle memory aspect of it i try to stay at about 20 feet to maybe 40 feet maybe 45 at the very most i usually don't try to practice anything further than 45 feet ever uh, mainly because those are pretty much just bonus and if you're canning them from 45 it's almost the same motion you know it's just a little bit more spin a little bit more pop um, I know I've heard Ricky say that he used to go and just stand at like 50 or 60 feet and just try to can them, you know, and once he developed that, he started moving in closer and I always try to teach people the exact opposite of that. Yeah, I know. Right. It's, it's funny how everyone has a different style of putting and Ricky's obviously known as one of the best putters in the world. And especially at those longer putts and 
you know, he goes from back to, you know, from long to short when a lot of people will coach and say, Hey, start short. Like one of the things that I say is start at 20 feet and develop mm -hmm. that muscle memory of just hitting that 20 footer. And when you're making that nine times out of 10, 10 times out of 10, move it back to 25 feet. Cause you're not doing that much more from 20 to 25 feet and then developing that muscle memory and just keep working your way back. But everyone's different. The way of style of putting is so funny because not anyone puts exactly like someone else. You can kind of emulate someone else's form a little bit, but for the most part, everyone has a pretty unique style of putting. And so at that point, it's whatever works for you, but something that I think is great, start small, work your way back. Yeah. I, I want to throw this out there for the people in studio with me too, Ben and or Evan. At any point you have a question, I mean, just tap your microphone or speak up. That's fine. We're, we're glad to take all questions tonight. We've got other people in the room here, uh, uh, Corey. So uh, because you said this publicly on the YouTube um, promotion from Discraft, I just wanted to kind of see what you would want to say about it here on the show. I think it's an important thing. You mentioned a year sober. Do you have anything else to say about that, how it might have affected your game one way or another and where you're at now with that? Uh, I would say that it is uh it's something that i would say has plagued my family as far as like uh the alcoholism and i think it's it's you know it's out there you know and it it's important to for someone to bring it up and you know I, i'm not ashamed of it and, you know a lot of people would be i think but i feel like it takes a lot of courage to come up and actually you know announce that especially even in a you know, to have Discraft behind me and say that, you know, we want to support you behind this was important. Uh, but uh, honestly, I, I just really used to like the taste of beer and uh, I would drink too much beer. You know, that's mm -hmm. all it was. And I never drank liquor. I never did anything else other than that. Um, but. I don't know. Uh, I was just, it, it got, and I'm not, I'm not trying to put first. you, not trying to put you on the spot to have to like, is it like, like a confession thing? I just more or less was thinking right. to myself, first of all, congratulations on that year. We all, every single person has their things. Okay. Their vices things, right? I have mine. Um, everybody. So thank you for saying that it was, it's only because it was public that I thought I would mention it because I think there's something to be learned for all of us through you even talking about it. And have you seen through this past year the way it's affected your game? Has it developed you in a different way than you had previously? Well, I would say that not only me have I seen anything, but I think the world has seen how my game has changed mm. dramatically. Mm -hmm. If you go back and look at tournaments and look at how I performed uh, you can clearly see that that obviously impacts your game. I don't care who you are. If you, that's something that you do, you know, something has to change. And I, it was a change for the better. I would never take anything away. Uh, without the support of my family and my uh, fiance, I could never have done it, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm forever grateful. Wow. Yeah. I just want to say thank Absolutely. you again. Thank you so much for sharing that. We're really uh, proud of you and happy that you could do that on our show. So to kind of go back into disc golf a little bit, 
Uh, and correct me if you had said this already when I, for some other reason, lost internet connection, but you're going out on the tour this year, playing a majority of the large big events, some big local ones for yourself as well. What are kind of your main goals getting out on the road this year? You had some incredible finishes to end the year last year and just throughout the season in general. Um, but what is, what is your ultimate goal of touring in the 2022 season? Uh, I just want to be consistent. You know, uh, it starts off the course and, you know, developing good habits and practice routines and all that, you know, it'll it'll feed into your tournament performance. And I think that, uh, you know, I've never really traveled as much as I'm going to this year. You know, I've been playing disc golf a long time, a lot longer than most people realize. And, uh, you know, I've seen, you know, I've met a lot of people. I've seen a lot of, a lot of courses and things, and I'm really excited to get to actually perform at at all these events. You know, I know how I honestly feel like I can win any tournament that I go to and Mm. you guys are going to see that this year. (laughs) Wow. I am, I am taken back by that because that is a massive statement. Um, but you're also started out saying again, through Discraft's promotion, like, Hey, I have plans to make the elite team. What is it going to take? Like, wh- have they told you? Cause I know Nick's on the team. They've told him before what it took to get onto the team he's on now. Like, have they told you, or do you feel like you just have in your mind, like, Hey, this is what I have to do. Like, what are your, what do you have to achieve? Like, what do you have to accomplish to achieve that next level with the team? Well, honestly, uh, social media presence is huge. And I, and I am going to tr- uh, try to do better about that and uh, maybe start a YouTube channel. We'll see uh, how that goes. But right now I'm going to focus on my game and I want, you know, that to show, you know, I want that to do the talking for me. Definitely. Okay. Well, Bob, what, um, Bob Julio, he listens to our show. So get this kid on the elite team when he takes down his first or second or third event this year. Points wise, it'll definitely help out taking down a big win like that. What are you most excited for in the new touring season? I always look forward to Idlewild. And um, I, get, I guess it hasn't really been announced. I, I've signed with uh, LWS uh, Agency uh shout out to those guys they're the the main sponsor for idlewild this year they're mm-hmm. a great group of guys a great agency um that that course is only about three hours from my house so it's kind of like my home tournament for me on on tour mm-hmm. and I, i've always done well there and uh that's that's always what i look forward to another one is is obviously deglo mm-hmm. uh, after last year i feel like you know, I, I can make an impact there as well. Uh, and I'm really excited to get back to Vermont. Oh, yeah. yeah it's it's so awesome up there, man. It's disc golf heaven. Yeah. Oh, but it's everyone insane. has said that their favorite, like Ricky, I know Ricky has told me that his favorite place to play is Milo. So Portland is going to be awesome. No matter mm-hmm. what, I don't care what I have to do. I'm I'm 100% going to, to Oregon this year. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny because I hear so many mixed reviews on Milo. People either say it's absolutely incredible, it's gorgeous, it looks great on camera. I think there's a couple holes that I don't really care for, but um, and then other people say it's super overrated. They don't really care for it, and it's just like it's just one of those courses where you either love it or you hate it. I guess. Um, I'm beyond excited to get out there. My brother lives out in Oregon now, so I'm excited to go spend a week with him and his girlfriend and finally be able to play some Oregon disc golf. 
one of those courses for me that this past year was that seemed overrated and a lot of people aren't going to like this but i think that the hype that maple hill has always had <laughs> was like i had such like it was on a pedestal man and and yeah like i love it don't get me wrong i absolutely mm -hmm. love it but compared to what everyone else says like the, everybody hypes it up so much and, and i think it's just not quite there and it's only just the yeah. way that certain holes are laid out next to each other that i have the problem with so i heard that for the first time this year actually a couple different pros said that same thing to where and i never realized this because maple hills you know when i lived in massachusetts was technically my home course and so i played it all the time but when you put everyone in the tournament playing on the gold layout like it is kind of funny how close the course is to each other you know like hole five you're throwing potentially on, or excuse me hole four you're throwing potentially onto five's t-pad seven if you have an errant drive can go over to eight's t-pad you know eight's right next to nine's bass you know whatever so it, it definitely is closer than i think i realized ever kind of growing up playing that place um so that is something that i did hear from people but course-wise, did you feel that, you know, it's a good course? Does it deserve the hype when it comes to the actual, you know, course in and of itself? Oh, yeah. The, the holes themselves are, are amazing, you know. The, I mean, it's hard to, to lay out a course exactly how you want to in your mind, you know. But but it was awesome. You know, I'm, I'm always going to look forward to going back there, too. We've, we've already lined up Steve Dodge, everybody, for a show in a couple weeks. Um, we'll tell him what Corey said and he'll take the feedback and change it up. But, but in all, but all seriousness, we've had this conversation. I live in Leicester. That's where the show is produced out of, um, Maple Hill is my home course. I take it for granted. People didn't come here to listen to my review on it. I definitely take it for granted, but there are elements to it where I always feel like the reason it's not just number one because of the layout and the quality, even though that's pretty high for most courses, it is pretty high. But it's rated number one because you're also throwing in nostalgia, which goes way, way back to the first ever like pro tour event. And even before that, the history of like uh, Jay and um, Des Redding even said they played that event well before. So like nostalgia is a huge part of it coming into hole 18 things that have played out there. So that's that's my account of it. And, I, and you're not saying bad about it, but I just feel like there's so much that goes into it that's not course related. I actually can buy into what you're saying. That's kind of where I'm at. Um, all right. So people in the chat, cause we have this happening, uh, people in the chat, see a guitar behind you. Is that your guitar? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's and, my Taylor. It goes on the road with me. And you play. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Would you strum a few chords for us? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, sure. As long as it's not Wonderwall. <laughs> <laughs> Give us Wonderwall. <laughs> No, not Wonderwall. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank just you. a little something. Whatever you want. It doesn't have to be anything epic unless you, you have epic. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Microphone. 
thank you. It was our own little concert. I hope all all the live viewers right now will send us over their uh, their their support. Well, well, we'll send half of it to Corey. There you go. Tip him. Throw it in the hat. <laughs> Um, yeah, any any super chats will go straight to Corey for this episode. You're, you're basking on the Nick Macho right now. <laughs> nice, I appreciate it. Um, so two two other questions. One is, do, would have you heard of? No, I don't want to put you on the spot for that. Would you stick around for a, a segment called Stat or Fiction on our show? It's a simple game show where you guess if something's stat or fiction. Absolutely. All right, he's down for it. And then, uh, all right, let's go ahead. Let's just do it. Let's jump right into that. Let's get right into Stat or Fiction here. Stat or Fiction, presented by Stat Mando. There it is. All right, Evan. What do you got this week? All right. Uh, hopefully I got some good ones. I, 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 think, I think some of them are pretty good. And by some of them, I mean all of them. Um, all right. To get right into it, just going to drop a bomb. Uh, <laughs> Jessica Weiss has made more PDGA prize cash in her career than Juliana Corver. All right, so we're going to make Nick go first and Corey goes last. So I'm second. I'm going to say stat. Mm, I'm going to say stat as well. And, and I just want to elaborate because every time we don't elaborate, Nick goes, here's why after the question gets answered. But before the question's answered, I'm saying yes because we've heard record cash payouts for FPO just in general. And back when Juliana was touring, like there was almost nothing. I think they were getting like hundred dollars for winning. And Jessica Weiss has been playing quite a while. So unless Juliana Corver this last year, like made bank, I don't know. I'm going, I'm going stat. You're up Corey. I would say stat for, for the same reason. Okay. Let's see how that played out. All right. Uh, this is a stat. Woo. You guys saw right through it. Um, but I will say it's probably a lot closer than you think. Like it is actually very close. Uh, Jessica Weiss actually just recently, probably end of last year, passed the hundred grand mark. Uh, she is at one hundred and one thousand six hundred and fourteen dollars. Uh, Juliana Corver is at ninety seven thousand eight hundred and fifty one. So like almost thirty five hundred behind, like right on her tail and. You never know. Honestly, Juliana could take it right back this year, and then we'll bring this question back later this year. Can you see fairly quick? You're in the game, I know, but how much did Juliana make last year? Um, I could pull that up pretty, pretty quickly, quick. but I will. Um, You'll save that? Yeah. Well, I'll say the next question. Okay. Say the next question. You look that up. All right. Paul Macbeth's win percentage at the European Open uh, as an uh, all-time event is 83.33%. <laughs> I'm already laughing, which is uh, wild. Uh, this is higher than his top 10 uh, percentage at the MVP open. So Paul McBeth's win percentage at the European open is higher than his top 10 percentage at the MVP. Open. Oh my goodness. I'm up first. Oh, um, so Paul has played a lot of MVP opens. Uh, I'm not sure the full history, but I feel like it's more than your, or at least the same than European Open. Um, and if he's won 83, let's just do, I'm doing very simple mat math here. Let's say he's played 10 European Opens, and it, so he's won a little over eight of those. And MVP's probably, 
has he placed out of top ten? All right, my answer is going to be it's just percentage, by the way. Yeah, I'm just, so it's not I, totals. But I know you, it's if not. That's how you think. That's I, good. I, listen, Evan, if that's how you think, um, that was that was that was a like actually positive. You think how you want, <laughs> not hating. Okay, yeah. uh, my simple brain says that that's fiction. That's what I'm going with. You're up, Corey. I've got to say that's fiction. So, just just repeat it one more time for me, Evan. Just uh, make yeah, sure I'm just for you, right. Nick. After they answer, no, I'm just playing. Uh, Paul McBeth's win percentage at the European Open is 83.33 percent. This is higher than his top 10 percentage at the MVP Open. I'll go stat. All right. Um, this is a stat as well. Nick um, got it. Yeah, 83.33. So he's literally won the last five in a row. I mean, is, his percentage is, is disgusting. Five out of six yeah, but, European yeah. Open all time. But then we got to get the, the key parts, what his top 10 percentages at the MVP Open, which is 81.82%. Uh, that that's, is nine that's out what of I was 11. On there was definitely yeah. the, the percentage at Maple Hill. I was like, there's no way. Just because it's yeah. top 10 and it's Paul McBeth. Come on. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Wow. I don't but, know. The whole the whole winning five in a row at European Open and, and I didn't think he was like I didn't think he had played more than six or seven of them. That was kind of where I was going at it. So I was like, well, the percentage is obviously disgustingly good. So yeah. I just any which the European Open wasn't. There's just been a few years it hasn't been a major, but it's still been an event. Uh, mm -hmm. But the, still the fact that Paul has won 83 percent of the time at an event that is commonly <laughs> a major. It's it's just it's mind-boggling sometimes figuring yeah. this stuff out. Uh but yeah. to get to the Juliana Corver, Jessica Weiss um uh cash part, Juliana Corver made thirteen thousand nine hundred and twenty-one dollars last season. Uh Jessica Weiss actually made almost double that, twenty-five thousand five hundred and nine. So she would have just passed her last year uh for the all-time earnings. And we're getting a little off track, but last week after the show or the next day, you texted us as confirmation of the Paul other Paul oh. Macbeth stat. Yeah, I was like, that was so mind blowing <laughs> that he's over half of his rounds are, are rated 1040 or higher. And yeah. like, it was mind blowing and I double checked it and it looked all good. And then I say it on the show and it's still just, it's so like, it's so unbelievable that that's true that I, yeah. I still thought it was wrong. I loved it. I was uh, like, he actually thought it could be wrong. Like, I was, I was, texted us. I was legitimately worried. Yeah. Yeah. And then looked it up the next day and I'm like, okay, whoo. That's so crazy. Good, good. Every other round yeah. is 1040 or better. Okay. All right. Yeah. Last question. Nick has the chance to win. He's coming back strong. Okay. So when Greg Barsby won uh, 2018 Worlds, uh, it marked 3,402 days from his first Elite Series win um, to his first major win. Oh, my goodness. Elite Series being NT at the time. Yeah. Or, NT at the time or yeah. Disc Golf Pro Tour. Uh, How many days? 3,402. That's that's just the the pre into the question, which is uh, <laughs> this is the longest stretch any player has had from their first elite win until their first major win. And and, and just Corey's up first. <laughs> and, and just to like kind of clear, it's first uh, elite win as in like so after or starting with the 2003 season. So it's not like Ken Climo won in. 1990 oh, right. and then didn't play elite none of that funny funny business it's when you won your first elite series win how long until your first major win after that that's gotta be a stat that's a, that's a long time and yeah and i feel like i feel like barsby you know he's been around long enough that 
he did that. You're up, Nick. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go stat as well. Here's the thing. You start you thinking through fiction. how many people won majors. Okay. There's obviously a fairly large list, but like to go that long and to have won a major, how many other people have done that? But Nick, if I go fiction to try to tie this, here's the here's the rub. You ready? There's a fiction call here to try to tie it if it's just random. But then Stat Mando is also tracking stats on correct answers from all of us. Yeah, I know. So it's like if I just roll the dice and I get it, there's so many things on the line. I um I'm gonna go for correct percentage because I can't let you catch up to me. I I even if it means I lose today, I'm going with that's a stat. All right. So this don't is- say fiction. <laughs> Fiction. No! Please tell me it's a joke. Uh, no, it's really fiction. That is fiction. Do you guys have any guesses? For who, the glory, I should have done it for the glory. You guys have any guesses who has a longer, uh, uh, longer um, uh, difference? And I, I'll say this: it's only forty-one days <sighs> oh, longer. Man, Felberg. Wow. Wow. No. Wow. No. Macbeth. It's someone. Is who it? Is it? Is it a? They have is one it a notable person. Uh, yes. Oh, they have a major win, so I hope they're notable. FPO. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. no MPO. Whoa. They have one national tour win and one major win. Well, dang. Jeremy calling. No, Nate yeah. Doss didn't have a that long a enough. Guess. Oh uh, no! I yeah, uh, no, it was a bad guess. They won the Dogwood Crosstown Classic <laughs> and USDGC. Ooh, what? no. Where's the Dogwood? Uh, North Carolina. That's in North Carolina. Barry. No, it can't be Barry. I can't be Barry, right? It's not Barry. MJ's never won a major, right? No, because he's never won US. So the major is USCGC. So now we got to. It's Schwebby. Nope. Schwebby never won USCGC. Oh, it's USCGC. That's right. Yeah. It's USCGC in 2013. Brinster. Steve Brinster. Man. Freaking Brinster. I feel bad. 3,443 <laughs> days from his first national tour until his first major. Wow. Just barely, uh, I mean, beating in whatever context you see it as, uh, Greg Barsby. And this is the wild thing. Those two are 41 days apart in the 3,400s. The next highest is, as I think, Nick, you guessed, is Jeremy Coling at 825 days. So that's no like kidding. 2,600 days longer that wow. two people have a streak. Wow. I told you that was a good guess. And yeah. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. And Steve Brinster, though. Dang, I totally. Yeah, that's right. Nick, share this with Steve after. He'd be like, yo, check this I out. Got it. I know, right? And one more just note on this. Uh, the fifth longest streak is actually Paul Macbeth at 504 days. Well, I did really? say him at one point, but it's not that long. It's only 500. I mean, that's less than two years. So yeah. it, it doesn't. it's not actually that long, but. All right. Well, Nick wins. Uh, I lose. Well, I don't lose, but Corey and I both get one. <laughs> All right. Well, let's does close. that? Does that? I mean, we can look at this after Corey leaves, but does that put me back above Matt? You know, in what? our personal standings, I actually haven't done last okay, week's that's yet. That's okay. We'll so it's suspense. not up to date. Suspense. All right, we'll do that later. We'll, we'll talk we'll about it uh, next time. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so I want to say thank you, Corey, for coming on the show. Uh, Corey, have you? Well, Actually, let me just say, for being a guest on the Nick and Matt show, we've we've partnered up with Double G Craft Jerky. If you would like a free sample pack of Double G Craft Jerky, 
literally send them a message on Instagram and say, hey, I was on the Nick and Matt show and you will get some free jerky on the way for you. So thank you very oh, much sweet. for coming on. Is there anything that you want to say that maybe we didn't give you the floor to say? Anything that you missed have, at all? I have one last question for you. Right. Just really quick before he goes and gives out a bunch of shout outs. So, Corey, I live in Virginia now and a lot of, you know, local tournaments have me playing. I want to, you know, kind of branch out. Are there any West Virginian tournaments that are kind of like must go to's that I should be kind of looking at on my schedule? The Seth Burton Memorial. Do you have any idea when that is? It's usually right before USCGC. Okay, cool. And then any any like good B tiers that you know are just you know a good group of players, but fun to go out to. Good courses. Uh, I would definitely try to go to the Black Course in Moundsville, West Virginia. Okay. Uh, the park is called Grandview, mm -hmm. and it's not lying. It's called Grandview for a reason. It's awesome. Sweet. Heck yeah! It's I'll definitely have to check it out. The then. Mountain and it's just bomb shots and. It's a lot of fun. Hell yeah. Sounds good. Well, anyways, thank you for coming on. Give the shout outs to anyone you want to give a shout out to. I got a shout out, uh, Molly, for letting me do this on Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Molly. Uh, you, we appreciate it. You're awesome. Corey's great. Thank you for letting him do this. <laughs> <laughs> and to my sponsors, Squatch, Resistance, Discraft, uh, LWS. Um, my parents, my dad probably has no idea this is happening because I didn't even, I've totally forgot to tell him to watch it live. <laughs> <laughs> He'll watch it later. Heck yeah. And, hopefully, uh, hopefully make on. a fan out of him. Yep. And honestly, to everybody who supports me, uh, thank you guys for having me on the show. And, uh, yeah. Is there, and, is, is there going to be a way, any, uh, like tour fundraiser discs coming out, any way for the people to be able to support you? Where should they be looking for that? Maybe on Instagram or something? Uh, well, Bob's going to kill me for this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. Yes. Uh, hold on. Hold on. Nick exclusive. Hit it. No, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. It's not there. Do it. <laughs> That's okay. We must have got rid of it. All right. There's remember the and calendars for a Nick and Matt show exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ben found it. There you go. So there's one, one more calendars coming out uh, very soon um, for my putting stats for setting a record for Inside Circle 1 wow. from last year. Wow. Hell awesome. yeah. Well, so, Bob, don't kill guys, him. We're excited for that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I definitely probably wasn't supposed to say that, but <laughs> everybody be on the lookout. And uh, we're, yeah, we're, we're not big enough yet, Corey. If you want to support my tour, just buy those up as quick as possible. Hell yeah, man. I we'll make sure to shout it out. I think we've had another player from Discraft who who had Bob sitting next to him. I think it was Paul, maybe. And Paul looked over and was like, hey, Bob, can I say this? And Bob's like, yeah, we've done multiple Discraft exclusives here. So you're yeah. welcome to the welcome to the crowd. We, we got the we got the inside scoop here. <laughs> Thank you very much, Corey. Tremendous. Uh, Thank you, guys. I, I'm looking forward to seeing you back up and just for the sake of fun, obviously back up what you're saying you want to do this year. I, I can't wait. Uh, you had fans call into our show a few weeks ago and they were really excited for you as well. So. Oh, that's awesome. All right, man. Have a good evening. And thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you. Guys. Take it easy, brother. All right, everybody. That was Corey Ellis. Um, and what a fantastic interview. Evan and Ben sat pretty quiet, but I want to give you guys an opportunity. 
Is there anything that stood out to you? How'd you feel about that, that, that conversation? Uh, I'm excited for him to tour more. Uh, I don't know if that was official before this or not. Um, I guess I didn't know, but, uh, a, a lot of people, uh, knew he was kind of sticking to like that kind of North Midwest area kind of what he could drive to. Um, even, even some people questioning, you know, is he the best putter because he plays those events, which there's a lot that can go into that. But now you get to see him on a whole year stage. He's made a lot of top 20 finishes, very good putter, very good standstill thrower. I get to see him at more opportunities with that. How about yeah, you? And I, what I, what I really like about it is he has the attitude of like, I'm going to go out this year and I'm going to prove that I deserve that accolade. I'm going to prove that I'm a good player. I'm going to prove that, you know, I lost Eaglo by four strokes, but I was right there and I can win these kind of events. Like I really did like his attitude because he wasn't, he wasn't super cocky about it, but at the same time he was very like, I'm in it and I'm here and I think I can take down an event. So I thought that was really, I thought that was really cool about him. All right. So I said, and Ben and the Nick talked, but that's because he didn't hear me. Ben, what do you have? Yeah. So, I've been a fan of Coriolis for at least three months, ever since MVP Open. Three months. I did watch him. He had a little practice round with uh, Ricky. So I am also very excited to see his full tour. Um, as I said, I'm a fan, and I hope he does very well and keeps that putting streak going. I The thing that stood out to me that kind of did a light bulb, first of all, it's an interesting position uh, that me, Nick, whoever's asking the questions get found find ourselves in here when things like hey tell us about you know your sober year like tell us about those things i don't think i would dig for that if it wasn't made public like an actual public announcement like hey this is something that i've done and more or less like he's proud of it like i wanted to give him that floor to talk about it in that way mm -hmm. i know it probably has a lot of different feelings mixed inside for him so i was trying to help him navigate that a little bit like just maybe how did you see your your game improve and I loved, this is what I'm getting to. He was like, I think it kind of speaks for itself. And I put the timeline together. It's been sober a year. Last year was kind of the season where he started making like waves. And it was like, wow, awesome. Good for him. I can't imagine like how proud he must feel the people in his life. And then this mm -hmm. year, the statement he's going to try to make. So I really appreciated his interview uh, a lot. I had the uh, fortunate pleasure of being able to play with him actually for round three at GMC last year. We played Brewster Ridge together and it was super fun because right before the round, it was actually the first time I ever played with him. And it was, you know, probably the first conversations I've really ever had with him. So we were sitting on the practice screen, uh, just warming up putts and everything, talking about what's in our bag, yada, yada, yada. And on the first hole, we were both throwing Raptors. And so... You know, I had thrown a really beat up crystal raptor that flipped up nice to flat, was parked, and he threw this really pretty blue Z raptor that I think he put it just long, but he banged like a 30 footer right off the bat. And it ended up being an awesome round, really, really cool dude. Um, and I had heard very nice things about him. And it's just cool to have him on the show and kind of learn a little bit more about his personal life and his goals and everything like that. Definitely very fun kid to watch. Super excited. For sure. Um, other news, I think since the last time we announced, the, well, announced, the last time we had the show, Simon made an announcement. He's like officially a dad holding a baby, changing poopy diapers. Like, that's the, the new, uh, you know, one-shot wonder. Maybe that's his kid now. <laughs> I, I, and his kid Emmett. signed up for the PDGA. Nice. Uh, mm -hmm. Emmett Lazat. And uh, with that, he has tied uh, PDGA all-time wins with me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> 
Nice. So uh, congratulations, Emmett. He, You're on a good track. He can, he can already throw further than me, and he can already putt better than Matt. <laughs> oh, These are things we'll be say, saying in the next in the next seven years. It was going to be a burn to both of us, but I was going to say that doesn't mean much, Nick. Throwing further than you and putting better than me. Hey, I know. I know. Throwing further than me, people will be like, oh, I throw further than Nick. I'm just like, that's not something you should brag about. I, I will mean, just a say. A lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> I will just hey, say. I'll, I'll tell you this. Yeah. I'll tell you this. When I was down in Florida, okay, because I spent about five days down in Florida. Super awesome. Paul and I spent some time working on my backhand and working on my form, working on my you know footwork and everything like that. And uh, one of the things that I was really dealing with at the end of last year was a really bad back pain like really bad pain coming up from my hip into my back wait is this an and, ad uh, read is this an ad read is this exclusive no no okay. not just making sure I, I don't think it's an exclusive <laughs> but um i mean shout out to paul for helping me out i guess so yeah it's an ad read go buy his stuff at paulmcbeth.com <laughs> <laughs> like uh, no anyways so when we're down there we're playing at the small park where we're doing a putter only round and um if you watch the video, I accidentally cheated. I threw a mid range at one point, but Ooh. that's besides the point. Cheating. Anyways, so before we did the video, he was like, show me how you like shuffle your feet. You know, just go back and forth shuffling. We took a video of it and he's like, oh, I figured something out. And so what I was doing and I guess I never really noticed it, whatever. But when I go to move my left leg during my X step, um, my leg sometimes will like hyperextend. And so what it was doing is when it was planting, it was pressuring my back and my hips together. And so I was getting this really awful pain. And I remember teaching a clinic last year and my girlfriend and I were out in Leesburg. I was teaching this clinic and all I was doing was forehands, just teaching people. And my back felt so bad afterwards. Like it was a struggle just getting in the vehicle. And I was like, I really need to figure this out for the off season. Anyways, long story short, went to Florida, figured something out. I am throwing right now putters and mids further than I've been throwing them in a long time, which is really good. The only like distance wise on drivers, I am getting more distance, but there are times where, you know, when I really try to go for a big powerful run up that I'll kind of go back to my old form and I can tell by the way my back feels afterwards, whether it was clean or not. And, um, but for putters and mids, when I really slow everything down, I'm throwing them, you know, probably on average about 50 feet further than I was towards the end of last season. So that's a huge step in the right direction for me. I feel super proud of that. Just, you know, kind of quick pat on my own back and, you know, thank you to Paul. <laughs> but my back doesn't hurt nearly as much now. And, oh, my gosh, that's, like, insane. That I actually feel good. And I'm super excited because next month I'm going to Texas for two weeks. So kind of need my back feeling nice, which it finally nice. is. And as long as you're putting in that off-season work, you know, putting with your Buzz OSs, you know, getting, like, 50 <laughs> reps – uh, every yeah. 10 minutes or whatever Corey else was saying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he said something that is stuck with me through other guests that we've had on, Brian Earhart, Dave Felberg, many others that we've talked to this about putting. The game of disc golf is very mental, but you can't give mental more percentage than it's worth because you have to have the physical ability. So it's some say that physical is like 75% mental is 25, but here's the deal. If you're not hitting that 25% mental, then you're going to fail, even if you have 75% athletic. So it's like, it's super important. The weightedness of important, if I'm saying that correct, is like super valuable. It's like worth more, but it's it, long story short, don't think about missing your putt. Like think about, no, no, that's, that's actually the trick. You can't think about it. Like, don't be like, 
I'm thinking that this is going to go in. So I don't think that it's not going to go in. Like it's purely being in that thought space where you're stepping up to the putt and those thoughts aren't there to where you're just literally in that moment of what I'm going to do. That's it. And I'm not a yeah, pro, I mean, if you're, but that's how you do if it. You're, if you're walking up to something, and this doesn't have to do with disc golf. This is just anything in life. But if you're walking up to something or thinking about doing something and your first thought is failure in the sense, let's take disc golf, for example, of, you know, oh, I'm not going to win this tournament or I don't think I can win this tournament or I don't think I can make this putt. What if I miss this putt and it rolls OB, yada, yada, yada. You're already setting yourself up for potential failure. But having that attitude of, I can win this tournament. I can make this putt. I'm going to make this putt. I'm going to make win this tournament. Is such a different mindset and such a more positive mindset going into anything just in life in general. But for disc golf wise, if you're thinking about missing a putt before you even step up to it, or you're thinking about all the dangers that come from it, then you're you're kind of putting yourself at a slight disadvantage. So that mentality aspect, and that that does come from a lot of practice just on the putting green of building up the confidence, uh, practicing anything. Like one of the worst sayings in the world, I think, is practice makes perfect because none of us are perfect and no one's going to ever do perfect things. Like every single tournament, you're going to make a mistake. So you're never going to be perfect at a tournament. But practice makes better consistency and practice develops better habits if you're doing it in the correct way. And so building up that consistency, I mean, it's just it's it's better in the long run. And to combine both the topics that we've been talking about, yeah. which is mental game and babies uh, with <laughs> Simon uh, having Emmett uh, and, yeah. and Dion throwing shade at Matt in the yeah. chat. Oh, I'm going to quote Dion for a second. Let's he, bring him on and let him say his own piece. He said, quote, um, uh, maybe not quote, paraphrased uh, <laughs> or speaking from experience, kids will take distance off the game, but add about 20 points to the focus and mental game. So have a kid. Uh, and you'll be better at focus in the mental game of disc golf. Oh, that's funny. It might be true. Four boys in, I feel like, okay, you guys know this about me. It just happened just now. I just cut Evan off right at the end. Like, quick, here I am talking. I talk a lot. If we're friends, you usually are just like, yeah, it's Matt being Matt. Or you'll just tell me to shut up and, like, I don't take any offense to it. But on the disc golf course, sometimes this happens. And I think... Where was it? It was Team Challenge, Nick, last week, um, playing with someone we hadn't played with in a long time, me and Vaughn against um, this other team from Crane Hill. And they looked at me at one point. He just stared at me, like, while his partner was getting ready to throw, just staring at me. And, like, me and Vaughn were talking, because I'm talking, of course. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I guess he doesn't want me to talk. So I just, I get quiet. And by the way, it was a very cool card. Like that was, he's like, literally dude, like, I don't mind that you talk, but like (laughs) the point is here, like he's throwing and I'm like, and maybe where I'm going with this is the kids deal. Like while I'm playing, I, and I'm not professional, but this wasn't even a pro event, but while I'm playing, I don't care if you are talking loudly, talking at all. In fact, it's worse. And I think we all agree, like when you're playing, if you're about to throw and everyone stops talking, like it's almost worse than just continuing to talk, at least to me. Yeah. So the kids helped with that. I'm yeah. like, dude, just run around dogs in front of, like, it doesn't matter to me. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. distract me at all. And yeah. I'm sorry for talking the, I, so much. Yeah. I've, I've, I've said it before. I'm pretty sure on the podcast, but when I'm playing 
you know, especially practice round, but even, you know, last Saturday at a fun winter disc golf tournament here, unsanctioned, just two rounds in one day. And I was talking to my carb mates where like, you know, I, I was lining up about a 25 footer slight downhill putt and I missed it right side. And one of the things that happened was the card that was behind us was on the hole that runs parallel. One goes downhill, one goes uphill. And all of a sudden they had all thrown their tee shots and started walking down the hill. And as I'm lining up my putt and I'm going down in my motions, two of them catch my eye, like just out of my peripherals. And, you know, that kind of took a little bit of focus from me. And so I actually pulled my putter just a little bit right, hit the right side of the basket. Wasn't a great putt. Wasn't a great effort at it. But I, I was talking to my card mate because he was like, dang, that's the first, you know, circle one putt you missed all day. And I was like, the only reason I think I missed that is because it was sudden change. But like if people are walking in the background or talking or anything like that, like I don't mind it if it's consistent. It's when something happens so suddenly or like a really loud noise. Like I've heard, you know, almost like a gunshot in the background or from really far away or like a train horn all of a sudden. If it's sudden. It, it doesn't annoy me to the point where I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened. And like, it is what it is. I literally just picked the worst timing possible to go down for a putt. But at the same time, like if there's consistent, constant movement in the background or people talking, telling a story, like I don't want them to stop talking when I'm going up for a putt. And this is all, this is all in unsanctioned, very casual play. You know, even though it's a tournament, it's still a very fun time. Like team challenge, what Matt was just talking about. It's a very fun time. It is competitive. Now, if I'm at a pro tour event or something like that, and people are constantly talking when I'm stepping up the tee pad, then it kind of gets a little different. But at the same time, fortunately, a majority of the people that I play with nowadays, that doesn't happen. Everyone has a very big respect for the game in that regards. But yeah, constant, sudden stuff will catch my attention. But excuse me, sudden stuff will catch my attention. If it's something that's consistently going on, I don't mind it too much. Okay. So it's funny. <laughs> We're doing a lot on the back end here and Nick was carrying us through. So that was fantastic. We have, it's pretty cool how this works out, but let me, uh, Dion Arlen of stat Mando. Some of you may have remembered an episode. I don't know how far back this goes now, but we had him on, um, and then we replaced him with <laughs> with Evan, and uh, yeah. so now we've got Evan. But let's go ahead and bring let's bring him into the show. This was unplanned, but he was in the chat and he called us out. He said he's ready to go. So here we go. Let's bring him in, Dion Arlen, everybody. There he. Oh, look at. Did you see how that live works? It literally. Watch. You can swap him out again. I bet. Watch. Swap out Evan and Dion. Stat Mando crew, just like look that. At everybody. That. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> welcome to the show, Dion. How's it going? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Just real quick audio check. Good? It yeah. is good. A little, little hot. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a call. It's like a call center hot, but it's okay. Appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, cool. Oh, so, so now it's perfect. Oh, yeah. All right. We brought you on because, first of all, I wanted to hear your assessment of the mental and physical portion of the game because that was kind of where I felt the call out a little bit. So tell me your take on it. Yeah, I, I think I would argue with your sort of assessment on the percentage and the weighting. I think you have to boil it down to uh, physical being the primary, right? And I don't think you disagree with that, but what the role of mental is. I don't disagree with your thought process of um, almost like less is more, right? Sort of what you were saying, like, don't think about it. And as someone who's very analytical, that's been the part of my game that I've had the most trouble with, tend, tend to think overthink 
what's going on in the moment and sort of the ramification of the throw or what it might mean in context. So thinking less is, is good, but um, uh, you have to at least be aware of your surroundings and have a game plan and the mental fortitude to stick to your plan, whatever that might be. So I think you have to have a high degree of mental capacity for setting up what you're going to do. And then the trick would be turning it off during the round and relying on the execution ability. So, so something to that effect. All right. So we agree more than we disagree. I can say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right. Uh, so we actually did a segment last week. I think it was last week where we talked about stat Mando uh, and like, what is the future of, you know, stats? What are things we're looking at? But I want everyone to know that you are a big driving force with this just as much as Evan is you. There's three of you. Well, there's more than that. My understanding is now, but there's three original <laughs> people here and you guys are the driving force. You each have a part to play Hans, Evan, and you Dion. Uh, Dion, what's your main role with Statmando? Yeah, so I think I, I sort of push more on the business side and um, sort of initiating the conversations with the different entities that we want to do work with. So Disc Golf Pro Tours is a company that we were supporting last year and trying to get our stats and analysis uh, to enhance their broadcast. So we're doing more of that or plan to do more of that in 2022. We want to sort of open up the the number of companies that we work with because we feel like business insight and business intelligence, right, taking the data crunching the data, contextualizing it, forming those narratives, forming that analysis is something that all companies can benefit from. So not not to turn this into a commercial, which I know that pitch just sounded like. Um, <clears throat> that That's the side of this that I, I try to focus on and, and push more on and then happen to do some of the like contract, you know, and, and deal negotiating and things like that. All right. So you're saying that you're you're going to cost more for the Nick and Matt show this year than last year. <laughs> you guys are OGs. We get you guys get the OG discount, <laughs> and you get the OG invite. See, you just say in the chat, "Hey, I want on," and just like that, there yeah. you are, and he's on. <laughs> I always bully myself on. I do that to uh, uh, Steve and Johnny on, or Steve, uh, Terry and Johnny on uh, Smashbox all the time. Got but it. see, they're Got the it. OG podcast too, so like they get the OG yeah. OG. <clears throat> all right, that's right. We, right. we love them over there. Literally. I, I well, still here, think we me... need to do like a, a podcast slash media, which stat Mando could be part of that podcast slash media tournament, like of the players of not the players. How do you say that? Like, I, I agree with that. And I think we need to, uh, and, and stat Mando has talked about this. I think we need to genuinely host the media, like AP poll, right? <laughs> so like college football does the play, coaches poll and the media poll. I think we need to get on that and, and, and pull in all these different entities. We'd be happy to host that. Absolutely. Very cool. So, so, go so ahead. give me, give me this really quick. One of the, one of the things that everyone's been wanting us to talk about is the all-star break. And Dion, did you get a chance to watch any of that? I did. I was catching the highlights and, uh, uh in between sort of my, my honeydew list here on the weekend, mm -hmm. I was able to catch, catch some of that. Do you have any cool stats or anything? Did you look into it too much or at all? Excuse me. Uh, any stats wise, is there anything that just pops out? I don't think we had any any stat work. We were we were sort of looking at it from um, sort of a different perspective. I know uh, it was some of the information and the scoring and such wasn't as readily as available as mm -hmm. some of the more standard formats for elite events last year. So we weren't really there. We weren't really working with Pro Tour to to provide any insight specifically for that event. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think sort of my personal 
read on it was Pro Tour did a fantastic job. It was filled with a lot of fun. The experimenting with the for formats and the actual venue itself seemed to be a huge success. So I enjoyed it immensely. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know, you know, texting back and forth with Jamie that he was having fun with it. And overall, I thought it was well received. Good, good. Very cool. I will say it set a record for the earliest uh, rules discrepancy conversation uh, in a uh, broadcasted event in in history. With the, with, <laughs> is that a stat? Did I just make that up? I don't know. Okay. It probably is, though. Yeah. I mean, live, live on coverage. To. So I've heard briefly the story, but if you know about it, please uh, elaborate on it. Yeah, so it may, it may be coming up in the show, so I don't want to steal any thunder, but uh, Sarah Hokum taking her one meter relief perpendicular to the line of OB when you're in bounds versus getting the semicircle of relief where you get to select the direction of your meter relief when you go OB. Sounds like that was uh, being contested in that final round of the, of the FPO players there. So we are going to talk about some of that, and that's perfect segue, so let's just do it. At Idlewild specifically is the scenario that comes to my head. There's a hole, and I'm going to get it wrong, but they used to call it the KY hole. It's the one where you would throw it through that Y tree. And you can remember it, it goes yeah. downhill, it turns over the creek into that little island green. It's not, a, it's kind of an island green. Um, yeah, hole 11, perhaps. Okay. I think it's 11, it's 11, 12, or 13. I want to say it's one of those, but it's on the back nine. And this is just yeah. hopefully going to help somebody who's like, I don't want to say struggling, but once a little bit more understanding of how this could work in that scenario. As the green, it's a long and narrow green, but it kind of goes to a very fine tip on the far end of the green. And if you find yourself OB in that corner, you can't take a meter relief any other way than towards the basket. There's no, there's no possibility there and you can't stand out of bounds. So like, there were scenarios where that existed. If you went OB in that far corner, like you have to go, that's the only option. So I think the rule clarifies for those types of situations. The only thing that they could have done, and I'm saying this on the spot, is had said like group decision determines there's no other opportunity than to go toward, you know what I mean? Like there's no meter relief that's not towards the basket, but that starts to involve more of that gray area. So I, I'm okay with the rule. Everybody gets to play it the same way. That's where I'm at with it. So I think the the core of the of the um, controversy, if if you want to call it that, or just sort of the discrepancy is, if you land out of bounds and you go to the spot where you crossed OB, you are allowed in the new rule set to draw that 180 degree circle and select your spot, your mark, you know, a meter away from that spot where you went OB, and that's the rule. However, if you land in bounds near within a meter of the OB, you have to take it perpendicular. So it's two situations, landing OB or being inbounds but near OB, it's two different rules of relief. So I think I think the PDJ should probably, my, I would advocate for them to intervene and clarify that the relief from OB, whether you crossed OB or happened to be near it, needs to be standardized, needs to be the same so that you're not having to keep track of two different situations, two yeah. different rules. Yeah. Mm. So rules are often confused. I feel like it takes a little bit for everybody. I know you will be at a tournament and kind of like just what happened at the all-stars event. 
And the first person to see that rule played out is like, that's not the rule. And you're like, yes, it is. It just changed. And then you have this like kind of argument, unfortunately. It's going to take a little while to unfold. Um, right. Only because you brought up her by name, I'm just going to say this and only this. Like, you're free to say whatever you want in this world. If you're on, if you're in media at all, or you're going to be on camera at all, and things slip out of your mouth, everybody's going to make mistakes. I think she made a mistake in the word choice that she chose to use. Um, it doesn't, I would just say generally she, she, she just needs to say, yeah, that was, that was a bad decision I, I made. And I'm just going to leave it at that. She used the word retarded uh, to describe a scenario on the course. Again, I've done much worse than that in my life. So, but when you're in the, I'm on a microphone right now. If I say something that is going to be offensive or that honestly I shouldn't say, that is what it is. Now, should she be held to a higher standard as a player? Her sponsors can decide that, all that stuff. But like, it's not for me to necessarily call her out. But because it's getting brought up and it's in the chat, like that's, I just wanted to address it at that level. And that's all I have to say about it. Uh, let's move on to something else that was fantastic that happened. Nico. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to start this one. 536 foot ace. When you hear that, have you heard many that are bigger than that? Any of you? This is the microphone open to six people right now. I, I feel like I have to say something uh, only because I, I do have a few long hole in ones. Um, none of them in the 500 foot club, but also I have a 465 foot flat ground, no skip ace. So That's I don't it. know how... I don't know how you account for the difference in elevation, but <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm planting my flag right here. Washington state uh, holder for longest hole in one, no elevation change, 465 feet. Just saying, just saying. Humble brag, humble brag. But Dion <laughs> throws, how, Dion throws 465 it, feet in the air. We know. Was, how was elevated it even was a the basket brag? It was a straight up brag. <laughs> yeah, good point. Now we got to account for if the basket's standard height, then it's a certain, but then if it's an elevated basket or if it's a low basket, all those things come into play too. Yeah. AB AB had a sick ace at Glen Eagles what a couple of years ago. Didn't Johnny V capture something? It was like a 550 plus foot ace. Does anyone remember that? Mm. We're all sitting. It was here like a. Like, eh. It was like it. It was. It wasn't during the tournament. I think they were all ace running a basket that they had specifically put out somewhere, and. I kind of want to find it now, but find my it. my my humble brag. I don't have a 500 foot ace. And I'll tell you why it's because I can't throw a 500 feet, but I do have a 420 foot ace <laughs> at hole 14 Maple Hill golds. So I don't think I'll ever top that one. That's a lifetime ace right there. For sure. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just pumped. I've made dry land on that hole. <laughs> uh, that's my claim to fame. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah. he, did you hear what he said? And, and for those of you who did hear what he said, it's just going to be a reminder when I say it, but he's like, this is all I ever wanted. <laughs> like this is everything. Yeah. Yeah. The man's yeah. had how many awesome throws. I mean, USDGC Albatross yeah. as one, like I yeah. thought that one was cooler, but, uh, well, Nico, no, no awesome Nico won Memorial off of an ACE. I'm pretty sure it was, what? uh, it was or a Shelly sharp warm up. It was oh, an early Shelly season warm up. Yeah. Against Yuli and yeah. he walk off faced him. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was <laughs> on it's, Yeah. It was one of the most badass shots. But if you look at two years ago on Johnny Disc Golf's channel, but Anthony Barella, 525 foot ace at the 2019 San Francisco Open. And it was some qualifying round of the $20,000 ace contest at that tournament. 
But it was a really, really cool shot, and I think it skipped, but, you know, that one was sick. So he goes, this is all I ever wanted, and then he runs around, and he gets hyped up, high-fiving, I think stiff-armed, possibly Calvin in the face, trying to high-five, or Hamas. It was somebody. I think it was um, Ezra <laughs> Aderholz. Oh, Ezra. Uh, younger brother, actually. <laughs> he posted on a story today, I saw. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Nico goes crazy. This is the... This is the reality with Nico. I've seen all sides of him in person, like to my face and on media coverage. And he will wear his emotions. The saying goes on his sleeves. So when that happens, that's genuine Nico. Okay. Like he's not trying to do a show like that's, it's just releasing from him. And as he runs around, you'll see the video. He gets so wound up. He actually falls down. And as he's going, he's like, I'm falling down. I'm just going to roll it into a back roll like, and a little flip on the end. And like psyched, he gets down to the basket, sets his bag down. Then he's running down this hill and does a somersault down the hill, runs to find the nearest tree and jumps off the tree. Like when he got the eagle at USDGC, it's kind of his signature thing. Now <laughs> you have to smile when that happens. So like, this is the, this is what you get with Nico. Um, you don't smile so often when it goes the other way and he gets compilations made about him the other way. But I was just, I'm, it makes you excited for the guy. Hate him or love him. Like to see that ex genuine excitement is awesome. And let's transition into, he's announced his contract. Has anybody the, seen that? Money? No. Clash. Oh, well, just, yeah, actually he did. He did announce money to it. I didn't know money, but yes, go on. So Nico signs a one-year contract with Clash Discs. This is a new Finnish manufacturer. Nico's negotiated a deal that allows him to throw an open bag. So that's popular nowadays. And mm -hmm. I think it could be the future of a lot of disc golf contracts. Maybe not the biggest, but it's going to be a popular way to go. And this is what they said. The deal has a monetary value of at least $100,000. Now, this was a one-year deal, to put it out there. So the value, the monetary value, that take that for whatever you will, but you actually put a dollar value out there. Nick, uh, any response to that? I think that's awesome. I uh, didn't know that there was a money um, announcement that went on a deal. I have no idea who Clash Discs are, so I'm glad I'm kind of educated in that now. But then he also signed with Gateway, so I'm pretty sure he's back to throwing his OG putters. Um, I think he used to put Wizards. So I'm super excited for him. I thought what was really cool at the All-Star event is that Matty Orham, who got picked up by Westside this year, Nicola Castro, who left Westside this year, they went head-to-head -head in the singles round which I thought was just kind of a, a grudge match. I don't I just, that was my own personal <laughs> take on it. I just, I just thought it was kind of fun. And, uh, West a, side, a, grudge West match, side. a grudge match between two old school golfers who probably don't have any hate for each other exactly. whatsoever. Exactly. <laughs> but it was just the funny, it was just the funniness of like, here's new West side and then there's old yeah. West side. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, however, however, Nico and West side's relationship ended, I, you know, I have no idea if there's any, bad feelings towards it. I just thought it was kind of ironic that Matteo got put up against Nico or Nico got put up against Matteo. It was just, it was cool. Kind of worked out nicely. Yeah. yeah so and I think go ahead, go great, ahead. Dion. Great sign. Yeah. Great sign for the, the sport. We have all these ma manufacturers. Uh, I think we're living in the golden age of manufacturer proliferation, right? We're going to see 
more and more companies. You see Desk with Mint, uh, Nico with Clash. You know, you see all these various companies launching at least a disk or or two, maybe even a complete line. And we're starting to see that uh, that that proliferate throughout the sport. So I'm excited to just see in the next few years which companies stick, uh, what types of molds and trends emerge out of the innovation that multiple companies uh, joining the scene uh, should allow for. Uh, and I think we're all uh, excited to be in this this time. Mm-hmm. We we need Dion more often for words like manufacturer proliferation, like at least three times fast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's excellent. Yeah. It's excellent. Um, I, I had a chance to catch up with Dion. Evan, of course, I knew here from locally and uh, Hans in Massachusetts at my home after one of the events at MVP. And it was just a good time. I whipped some steak up and like long story short, it was a long day, but it was a good time and it was good to meet you guys in person. Um, so that happened a hundred thousand dollar monetary value. You mentioned gateway Nick. So I don't want to confuse people, uh, with this clash deal, he came to an agreement with them that said, Hey, it's better for my game right now. If I can throw like whatever I want, if you make me just throw only clash right now, like it's probably not going to give you as much exposure as I can get you. If I'm feeling very comfortable right out of the season start. Uh, Because imagine trying to learn a disc in like no time flat. Like, I don't think he had access to these discs since the end of last season. Like, it's very recent. I also think they might only have six discs to their name. So he wouldn't even be able to solely do Clash. Yeah, you can do a lot with six discs. But especially one of the discs is called the Popcorn. It's a putter. (laughs) And like, uh, I'm looking for that in stores because I I just want to throw a popcorn. That's cool. (laughs) Is it like Scratch and Slim? It's like butter? Yeah. Yeah, the plastic type better be called like buttered or something like that. <laughs> buttery, dude, that's a buttery putter, popcorn putter. Yep. Which probably yep. isn't what you want in a putter or a disc. You <laughs> kind of want the opposite. You want grippy, not slippery. But the thing that always gets me to laugh, I think it was a Brody episode when we had Brody in, like not planned, and we brought him into the show, and it was one of our longest shows, and we started talking about how to make disc golf harder. And one of the things that came up was like someone, and I laugh every time I think of it. They're like, if we really want to make disc golf harder, why don't we make people lotion up their hands before they throw the disc? <laughs> Every time it just cracks me up. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so that yeah. uh, that's so funny. Um, Nico, we talked about him. So let's do the all-star discussion. <clears throat> what happened at all-stars? Uh, I would say by raise of hands, but then I'm taking myself to my training room that I do with my work. So I'm not going to say by raise of hands. But... <laughs> Did you guys get to watch? Who watched the All-Stars? Like, just give me your feedback. I have a lot to say, but I talk enough. So anybody that watched it, give me your feedback. What did you think? I, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was a huge step up uh, from last year. Um, I think the skills competition uh, was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, obviously, you could always say there's more things that can be worked on, but I thought it was fantastic as is, and I'm sure they will uh, grow it every year on top of it. Doubles was really cool. I mean, uh, maybe we talk about it, but Ezra's roller to James's like 70 foot throw in putt mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. was awesome to see. And <laughs> those two comboing to get a, a an eagle is not something you get to. I mean, it doubles. So you don't get to see that often, which was really cool. And then to finish on singles, like I thought it was just kind of perfect lineup. Really good. Um, but I I just like I think it's awesome that after the draft, everyone kind of just said, Paige Pierce had the dominant team, uh, maybe mm-hmm. better, better names as far as last year went. Uh, and Katrina, maybe with the underdogs, I don't even know how to word that, but 
then Katrina comes out and her team wins, which I think took a lot of people by surprise. Um, I think, m- well, majority would have guessed uh, Paige's team would have won. Mm-hmm. Nick, yeah, I think when you yeah. looked on it, yeah. And so I got to watch, I didn't get to watch the whole thing like from start to finish, but I did get to watch a pretty good portion of the skills competition. Um, I watched a couple of players throw that one, FPO and MPO side. Um, I actually didn't get to watch any of the doubles because I think I was playing a tournament, but then I was able to watch some of the singles and then just some highlight stuff. Like I never sat down and watched it start to finish, but I was super, super impressed with the skills competition aspect of it. And like Evan just said, they're going to do things to make it better and better as the years go on. But I think it was a huge step up from last year's all-star event. Um, So that was really fun. I liked watching people throw certain shots. You could see, you know, some players are better at throwing certain shots than other players are. And it was in windy conditions too, which definitely added a little bit of poise to it. I thought the putting competition was really fun and everyone was stoked to watch that. And then the singles with how close everything came to at the end, Eagles, well, Nico's ace and then Eagles massive putt on 18, Calvin clutching up and hitting the final putt. Someone said Calvin birdied every single hole on the back nine. So that's absolutely insane. Um, but if I was a betting person, like when I looked at the teams right off the bat for the FPO side, I definitely would have said, you know, I'll put money down on Paige Pierce's team. But then when I was watching Kat's team play in the singles, I mean, Katrina Allen looked awesome play wise. I thought she was throwing super well. She was putting well. She had a great round. I mean, she won her round by three strokes and technically speaking, it was a 10, 15 rated round. I'm not really sure how they do that, um, for this one event, but it was a 10, 15 rated round. And her team clutched up when they wanted to, or when they needed to, I should say. And so it was super cool to see Team Katrina win it, and then Team Calvin clutching up and winning it as well. Very fun to watch. Um, I did I did enjoy it way immensely more than last year's. Yeah, Ben, you are newer as a fan to the sport. Correct. You talked about getting DGN subscription last week, but you didn't yes. need it. But did you, or did you watch the event? What did you think? I watched the singles, some of it, on YouTube, which I thought was pretty cool. It was a little, like, free trial into the DGN subscription, you know, what to expect. I thought that was a smart move on their end. And, yeah, I watched the singles, um, watched a little bit of the draft and the skills. But other than that, nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, that's good. I, I want feedback from all perspectives. Dion, did you have anything about it? Yeah, yeah. Before we get too far, Ben, I've been giving you some uh, Gen Z uh, joking around love. Can I get a confirmation on how old you are, actually, before I continue that line of joking? I am 23. I think I'm in Gen Z. Can't okay. confirm. Yeah, that counts. That counts. I know I don't look it, but I'm actually 53. So <laughs> what? good, good work is? on that. Oh, no, I'm not 53. Oh, jeez. I'll say. Oh my oh, there you goodness. Go. Dion, you miss you can't see his face because we haven't given him a camera yet. <laughs> but his face was looking around the room with his big eyes. I was like, Evan, <laughs> is this a stat or fiction? <laughs> stat or fiction? I'm fifty-three. Stat or fiction? <laughs> Dion's actually a baby boomer. Yeah. Uh, no. So, so for the all-star coverage, yeah, I thought they did a fantastic job. Um, I would have loved. It's it's so hard to predict these things, of course, and control them in the moment. But after Eagle slammed that humongous putt mm. on the final hole. It was almost anticlimactic that Calvin had like 20 seconds, steps yeah. out, drains it, game over. 
I know, I right? Lo- I would love if you have a way to moderate or or sort of pull the tension in those events a little bit uh, longer. But the the whole thing was well done. I I agree, Nick. Katrina played phenomenally. Her throws mm-hmm. are crisp. Mm-hmm. Seemed like she felt really comfortable with the plastic. And there's just so many sort of fun storylines to pick up on that we are excited to cover in the in the 2022 season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I actually I like that you said that with the media opportunity to create more drama and they actually are doing that's a full conversation they're doing a pretty good job i've already recognized that they have these highlight reels ready to go after let's say nico throws a great ace shot they have like and i'm making this up for this one but like they have a highlight reel to show this was nico's performance last year a lot of his highlights or here's ezra aderholt they had stuff packages ready to go what would be great is yes after eagle did that and this can happen. Some could argue is, would this be good for the sport or not? It happened in the NFL. If you've ever gone to an NFL game, you're at the stadium and there's TV timeouts. You're like, that's a thing. Yes. Like there's actually lots of timeouts that are not called by the teams because they're trying to fit in the sponsors. Right. And I think it could be neat if after Eagle hit that, yes, they said, stand down for a second, Calvin, like we're doing a highlight reel for Eagle. Like we're just trying to, you know, whatever. We're trying to make you nervous, Calvin. <laughs> and, yeah, um, trying to ice them. Yeah, we're trying to ice you on purpose to make more drama. But they could do that. I'm not where I'm at right now. I'd say that would maybe a little too much right now. But as the sport grows, I could definitely see that happening because, to your point, Dion, that I agree. Epic, amazing. Everyone in a weird way is rooting. Not everyone, but rooting for Calvin to miss. Maybe that's just me. I for some reason I'm against Calvin always. And, and you know what they could do. <laughs> Is how they run the live shows already just, you know, a few seconds behind or maybe a minute behind, depending on how the throws are. Um, if if they're f- filming chase card and lead card, the chase cards might get put in between the lead cards throws to make it seem like it's going back and forth, back and mm-hmm. forth live. But mm-hmm. it's really like it, it happened a little bit before and they're doing really, really quick replays. So if you really did want to kind of string out that that last final put, they could just show replays. Calvin makes the putt, but then like five, six seconds pass, and then they get to it and kind of give a little bit longer pause that way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it is a live event, but just like five, six seconds, that's nothing crazy. When you watch the Super Bowl yesterday, that's on that's on delay too by about the same amount. Yeah, for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, all right. Um, we talked a little bit about this. Here's, here's some of my takes on it. You guys, I appreciate all your feedback on that. Um, a few things that stood out was one, I agree with everybody here, I think talked about the the skills challenge portion of the event. To me, that was a very easy to watch event where you want to just like be hanging out with friends. It's on in the background. It's hours worth. It's four hours or whatever. It's long. So you don't have to watch every minute of it, but you're having disc golf playing, right? Um, in fact, that's what a lot of people do with our podcast. <laughs> they just have it on in the background yeah. um, while they work or whatever they're doing. Um, but that was enjoyable to me, very enjoyable. And I said, I I wish that was, that content was available every weekend, even during tournaments, like maybe not during the tournament, but like have multiple disc golf channels. Like, Hey, if you don't want to watch this event, go check this out. Like live. I think it's pretty cool. Obviously golf is way bigger than us, but like you can, there's lots of content to watch. And I think there's something different and this is not a harping session, but we've talked about it before. Jomez 
has done a lot of skills competitions and they've made it entertaining. But there is something absolutely different about live. Mm-hmm. Like, hands down, it's different. I don't know if it's all the extra just filler that allows you to not have to pay attention every second. But it's something about it. You don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen. It's going to be a real live, you know, um, excitement in the moment. So that was cool. And now I, the other topic here that I'm not going to elaborate on right now, I'll put it back to you guys. How come, and this is, this is rhetorical, well, not rhetorical. This is me asking, I have my own opinions, but me asking you, how come they're throwing from the side of the tee pads and not on them? Anybody, Nick, you'd probably have the biggest insight into that. Um, I mean, angle of the shot shape that you want to throw is a huge piece of it. Uh, like I said, I didn't get to watch the whole course, so I don't know exactly how every single hole was. Um, it was the red, angle. The sh- it was the red it tee the, pads from Portland yeah. Open. Yeah. So sometimes if you put, if it's a turf tee pad, which I'm assuming, or like a carpet tee pad, which I'm assuming those ones kind of were, if if it's a newer one and it gets wet, it's a little bit slick, which I don't think that was the case. But sometimes some turf is really grippy and some turf is really, really slick, especially if you're running with the turf as that breaks down and like gets, you know, worn in. It actually becomes very slippery because of all the, you know, let's say the little bit of grass is now going with it. And so you kind of slide across it. Um, if you actually use a certain type of turf and you go against it, it's actually better for it grip wise. Uh, I'm not an expert on it, to be honest, um, but I'm assuming a slight little issue. Like if you have to think about slipping on a tee pad, but you have the option to go to the left of it where there's natural grass and it seems pretty safe. A hundred percent of the people in the pro scene are going to do that. At text Hamas, um, text Hamas right now. Say, Hey, why did some people not throw on the tee pad? Um, yeah. I, I feel like we've heard this before. And Evan, it sounded like you're going to respond that people are complaining about the potential for injury. Well, yeah, that was a hot topic last year, kind of whether you like cement tee pads or paver tee pads or turf tee pads. I've always thought, especially like that course had a lot of open run-ups um, where, you know, if you're two feet to the right or two feet to the left, it doesn't really change the angle too, too much. I know Nick did mention it's possible, but if you think about like a, a wooded course, you can move two feet to the left and you like stand on the left edge of the tee pad and that opens up a different lane compared to the right side of the tee pad. But yeah. to ignore that part and just to keep it kind of like an open bomber hole where you're just trying to get the the best run up and, and stance, whatever possible to just bomb it. Um, I think more tee pads could be dual tee pads and just literally be twice as wide, have a turf one, have a paver one and just no complaints. If, if it's a wet day, you might want to go paver. If it's a dry day, you might like turf better. Uh, you might just like either either or better anyways. Uh, but I, I think that would be an interesting kind of way to deal with it. Uh, I have so many feelings and reactions to that. But Dion, Dion's a guest here. I'll give him the floor. What do you think, Dion? <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Uh, yeah, tee pads are a bit of a... Um, I get really annoyed that they're not standardized as a as a facet of equipment in our sport. Same. And I, I think, Nick, you might recall when we played our last round at uh, the Fort at Worlds, anytime I start to get frustrated during a round, which usually is often because I usually play terribly, I, t- I tend to take it out on tee pads specifically. That's my like mental block because it's the one shot. And I think I remember Drew Gibson's telling me this once. It's the one shot where all things should be equal. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have to worry about your grip, which is pr- which is 
primarily the, the the challenge with drift d-pads if like what nick said if the grain is going the wrong way then it's just slipperier than than normal grass might be shouldn't have to worry about the grip shouldn't have to worry about the length or the run-up i hate having to accommodate a change in elevation having to step up or down mm-hmm. my run-up's not as bad as not as bad not as long as conrad's but probably longer than most some sort of a tall guy uh, and i like to throw far so uh standardized t-pads to me would be the most obvious low-hanging fruit for equipment standards that like the pro tour could pioneer given the resources that they have and that the pdga could set some parameters around so you're not competing on majors or a tiers or elite series events with just a huge variety of of structure or space to throw mm-hmm. so i agree completely i feel like there's two there okay there's so many facets to this conversation first of all i'm just going to throw it back to dion he's a guest he doesn't come on often but i'm going to i'm going to put him back on there you said the t-pad is the one place where we shouldn't have to worry about like grip or length or any of that can i throw it back and say what if it's what if that's part of the course to say this is a small t-pad everybody has the same exact issue here figure it out now I'm, the reason i bring this up it's a little different but the MVP Open Am side one year, this was actually two years ago or a year ago, it turned into a, an absolute blizzard, literally starting the morning, like snowing at 5 a.m. And it went until that afternoon and there was like well over a foot of snow or more that people were playing through a blizzard. People were dropping out like almost frostbite. It was a bad deal. We all had very similar conditions there. But some people were saying it should have been canceled. The T-pads were unsafe, blah, 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 all these things, right? And I was on the opposite side. I actually shot an okay round, which is probably why I was on the opposite side. But I don't feel like it was luck. I said, well, the elements are throwing me an icy T-pad. I'm going to do majority 95% standstills, which seems like a disadvantage, but I think it worked in my favor. And I shot in like, I don't remember what it was now, very high percentage of the field. Yeah. And the, I guess my the, point is with T pads, I want it to be the same thing. Everybody's given the same T pad, make it work. For, like I saw Kevin Jones throwing off the T pad, but then Calvin decides to throw off the dirt. And I'm going, they're both elite level players. Like I know it's in their mental game, but why not force everybody to have the same exact issues? That I, that I'm yeah. arguing a little bit of the argument's sake for the argument, but just like, what's your feedback on that? I mean, biggest biggest one that you'll notice throughout watching live coverage or just coverage from, you know, years and years in the past, Memorial, when they play Vista, and I think some holes at Fountain Hills, that 90% of the pros will throw to the right or left of a tee pad because of that cement being a little slick or, like I said earlier, the angle of the shot is better from the right-hand side. And out in Arizona, you know, it's a lot of desert sand or dirt and everything like that, maybe pretty dusty. I don't know how bad that affects the tee pads out there, but a majority of the people throw off to the side of it where it's natural earth. Uh, but last year when they played the Portland Open and it was designed pretty quickly before the tournament came up, it was designed specifically to be played a certain way. And then because of some really bad weather, I think that they had and the turf tee pads being put in the ground, not the way they should have been. The pro tour injury wise, just making sure that no one's, you know, hurting their knees too, too bad on these tee pads opened up shots to the right and left of the tee pads. And that's when it became roller central. Like you could see the clear line where the original tee pad was. And then when they opened it up to the left or the right, now it opened up a massive roller this way or a massive roller that way. And so we kind of lost a little bit of the enjoyment of what that course could have been 
because of opening up the tee pad. Now, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have done that because I want players mm. to be safe. I want them to have the knowledge that or the comfortability that or the confidence that they are throwing off of a safe tee pad. Like they're not going to, you know, hurt their knee because of something stupid. You know, if it happens, it happens. Don't get me wrong. But standardizing tee pad, excuse me, in elite series events, I think would be an incredible thing. Dion was just talking about when we were in Worlds last year. One of my biggest gripes was hole 18 at the Mulligans course. It's not a super long hole. It For me, it's just a forehand zone shot. But you're slightly going uphill that whole time. And so forehanding for me is easier going uphill than it is backhanding, especially on a longer shot. But for that hole, fortunately, it was only 250 somewhat feet. But still the fact that you have to go uphill on the tee pad, like I think that's something that shouldn't be like allowed in a sense, especially at major championships. I mean, we're talking the world championships here and there was just those little bit of issues with tee pads. Every course is different though. No one's going to create a perfect tee pad. I don't think in the near future, maybe one day there is elements are obviously a huge factor in that as well. But it's sometimes like for me, I don't like it all the time when they open up the tee pads to the left and the right, because right. I think it kind of killed the initial design of the course. I mean, if you let's take hole four at MVP open, for example, Maple Hill golds hole four is generally just a very straight shot downhill. Now, if they extended the tee pad out two feet to the left, you would have a wide open hyzer to the basket. And so that really pretty straight downhill shot, that's a very technical and hard shot to make would be completely outed if you extended that tee pad. So I think that happens almost far too often at courses right now. And that's also because we've been playing courses that have been, you know, designed 10, 15 years ago with this new era of players coming into the sport. So, so I know, it's tough. So I'll throw it out and see if, if Evan or Dion has anything to respond to this, but I want to say actually what like I think about it. Cause I gave you like that, that argument. I think if the pro tour is providing a tee pad where they think there's a significant chance to be injured, like they actually feel that way. And so they're opening it up wider then they should get rid of the tee pad because why let anybody have that risk? Like if they're like, Oh, there's a, there's a chance someone could get hurt. Well, if it's just a chance and I'm a safety professional, if it's just a slim chance, like the risk is not that high. Well then like make everybody throw off it. But if they feel like, Hey, there's a significant chance. Like someone could get hurt on these. We're going to let people throw to the side. Well, my opinion is just get rid of them then and just throw from natural tee pads, like fix the issue. Don't create this mass. It doesn't look, it doesn't look right. Like, why are they like someone who's not good to the sport, new to the sport or someone who is new to the sport sees that it's like, Oh, is this true everywhere? Can I just choose to run up and throw from the side of tee pads to Nick's point? It ruins a lot of holes. Um, fix the tee pad issue. That's my stance. I yeah. think well, as long as everyone has a fair playing level, like I don't think the fairness was taken away. So I'm not saying that like yeah. th- that's all there, but I don't want people to get hurt, but I want to see something standardized. That's my, that's my take on it. So two things I want to say to kind of end that conversation is at that point with that many players were teeing off to the left side of that hole at the all-star break, just take out that red carpet in general. Right. I mean, it seemed like everyone preferred that now it just looks kind of dumb to where if I'm showing someone new, the sport, they're like, wait, isn't that the T-pad? Why aren't they running up on that? At that point, just put the two flags in the ground and say, you know, this is pretty much your box. 
Um, the other thing is actually someone in the chat said it is we're playing so many disc golf tournaments now on temporary courses or just golf courses that are allowing us to play on them to where they're not able to create tee pads. And so you're teeing off of cartways or cart paths and you're teeing off all these different areas, you know, maybe old tee boxes for the golf course to where you're literally just putting two flags up. I mean, it doesn't look incredible, but I think with the way the sport's going, we're getting more and more golf course style tournaments but they're not full-time disc golf courses. And so a golf course that potentially makes a ton of money isn't going to completely up their roots and everything and say, oh, let's just add 18 baskets or, excuse me, 18 tee pads, cement tee pads on our golf course. Like, that's not going to happen. So it's kind of tough because, you know, it's a temporary course that they just played at. I don't think it's there full-time. No. Um, so it kind of looks a little weird on coverage. I definitely thought it did. And I think it just looks bad. Like, that's one of my things. I, I watch I watch the memorial to watch the competition at it, but I think it's the funniest but ugliest thing when I'm watching this tournament and there's literally a tee pad and zero people on the card actually threw from the tee pad. They saying. threw off of it. Like it just it doesn't look that's good. what I'm saying. But but for yeah. all, all this being said, I'll let Dion and Evan have the closing words. I like the I personally like the red tee pad look. That's my stance on it. Uh Dion, do you have any closing thoughts Pop on that? Out. For sure, yeah. So to address your your initial set of thoughts there, Matt. So a, yeah, the red tee pad looks great. I would agree. Uh, but b, I think the sport has to decide what it's prioritizing when it's doing this sort of event standards or equipment standards type conversation. You you mentioned like a, a change in conditions throughout the day of an event, providing sort of that added challenge. And there's some of that that can't be controlled, right? So it starts snowing. Yeah, okay. So the people who tee later might have a harder time or more difficult time. And you can't really control that. Tee pads and tee surfaces are within our control, right? You can establish the the, the grading. You can establish the, the texture of the surface. And to Nick's point, a lot of these are temporary courses. So I think we should invest a little bit in a reusable and uh, repeatedly liked surface to go into some of these temporary courses. So big big picture, what do you want people to uh, focus on? Do you want to have the drama of the competition play out because of the uh, equipment being faulty? Or do you want the drama of the event to play out because people are playing their best and the challenges that the course brings come from the result of the throw, not the task of throwing itself but could where, are the, you, where are you putting that weight but you're calling the equipment faulty if maybe it's not standardized or or maybe you're i'm just i'm putting words in your mouth but i'm saying what if added to this game now this is hypothetical or whatever the right word is here i'm not actually suggesting this but for sake of conversation let's create a t-pad that's only uh four foot by four foot and so that makes for this hole it makes it significantly harder if it was an easy shot like it's like either a standstill or you have a smaller place to put your foot, like that's your, everyone has that same added, um, just like a putting green can be harder. I'm not suggesting that's how it should be, but that's a concept to consider. Uh, we've always talked about basket size and all that, but like, what if we made it more difficult on some areas? Like, <laughs> this goes back to lotioning your hands. Let's throw some ice down or marbles down on the tee pad and have fun now, you know? Um, yeah, I think you're. Probably a little I think crazy. you're starting to to change. Yeah. You're starting the tangent away from the purpose of sport, which yes. is like 
let the most talented and skilled person who can showcase that talent and skill rise to the top. Not right. not the person who's like, oh, I happen to have a shorter throw uh, run up than most. I have an advantage. Right. That's not a skill. That's just preference. Right. So, you know, you could you could start to make some ridiculous arguments like, well, what if we just had a pack of dogs on hole 18 and people who have a pathological fear of dogs have a disadvantage because we have a lot of rot. We have a lot of Rottweilers. And if you didn't grow up around big dogs, you're going to be freaked out. That's that's the challenge of the course. Hate to say it. That's so fair for everybody. Those dogs are there all day. So the entertainment value side of me really likes that idea. Like. Like yeah, every great. hole has something different. This has the bee's nest near the putting green. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I'm sorry allergic. if you have uh, yeah. allergic and anaphylactic yeah. shot. It's there for everybody. <laughs> sorry. <Yeah. laughs> so I'm just, I was being hypothetical with those. I just, for the sake of argument, sometimes I get a little crazy. Evan, we didn't let you talk. What's your closing thoughts on that? You kind of said some of it, but yeah, I, I don't have a huge dog in this fight. Uh, huge dog. Um, so I think you guys made good points, <laughs> uh, but I, I'll, I'll, I want to turn it back and just for quick, not for long discussion, just kind of quick answer. But what would you rather happen, ha- rather have happened first? Let's say on the disc golf pro tour, uh, standardized tee pads, uh, length, uh, texture, whatever, or standardized baskets. Baskets. Oh, oh that was quick. Oh, Matt. So first. Like which one happens first? Like disc golf pro tour is like, we're doing one of those. Yeah. I'm not a pro player. So my voice doesn't matter as much, but you would imagine the way the whole finishes is going to be more important. But is that true? I mean, you think the way it starts is pretty important. I I think here's the issue. The drastic changes between, well, no, that's not true. I was going to say the drastic changes between baskets are more so than tee pads, but maybe that's not true either. Yeah. I've heard a lot of tee pads are crazy. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll wrap it up and really quick. Like, I, I love baseball, and I think one of the awesome things about baseball is unstandardized stadiums. I mean, we have Fenway Park here, which has a you know thirty-seven foot wall in left <laughs> field. Uh, you have different stadiums that are more friendly to hitters, more friendly to pitchers, more friendly to a, a lefty power hitter or a righty power hitter, all that stuff. Um, but the mound is the same. You're still throwing 66 feet and six inches. The height is the same. The bases are the same. All that's the same. But then the um, the wall length and height and then maybe which direction it is with wind and all that uh, can vary. So assume- it's which do you choose is kind of, okay, that's the set pitching mound. Maybe that's just the circle. Maybe that's, I mean, it's kind of similar. Maybe you think tee pads can be something that can be unstandardized the way that uh, stadium sizes can be, or maybe you don't, maybe you think baskets is that maybe you don't. So it's kind of like super subjective, but I think it is cool to have some things be unstandardized. So here, here's my take on that. And cause it's something I've been talking about actually with a lot of friends lately in baseball though, like you said, the mound is standardized. So no matter what the pitcher is pitching from the same exact mound for the most part, as he would any other stadium. He's going to run, a a batter is going to run the same distance to first base, to second base, to third base, to home plate at any given stadium, right? Yes. A golfer is going to putt into the same exact hole at every single golf course that he will ever play for the most part. I mean, maybe, you know, many golf courses are different, but any major golf tournament, the greens are different. Don't get me wrong, but the actual cup itself, the hole, is exactly the same as one that he played at at a different course completely. 
as a professional player, I think almost every single one of them would get behind me on this. One thing that they would love to see, and there's no perfect basket in the world. Don't get me wrong. People have personal favorites, but consistency on the pro tour when it comes to how you are putting at a basket, because players do kind of change their putt depending on the basket that they're playing on. I mean, players like Simon are going to put a lot worse on Mach 3s than players like Steve Rico, who has a very you know wobbly push putt. And so his putts are probably going to catch a little bit more on a basket that doesn't like hard putts at all. No professional player should have to change their putting style because of the baskets that they're playing on. That's just my personal take on it. I think standardized baskets, I think coverage-wise, it all would always, excuse me, it would also look a hell of a lot better and more professional if you were putting on the same basket at every single Pro Tour event. Obviously, there's a ton of big things that go into that. You have to have a trailer literally full of baskets. And any course that you're playing, you have to have the availability to pull the baskets that are at that course right now. The sleeves have to match up so that these new baskets can go in and fit. I get there's a, there's a ton of stuff like that. But being able to putt consistently on the same exact basket for the Pro Tour major championships, I think would be an incredible thing. That's just my take. I would honestly, I would, I would rather that than a standardized tee pad because I haven't thought of what, like, what is the perfect tee pad? I have no idea what it is. I have, I guess, kind of favorite tee pads, I would say. Like, at certain courses, I like tee pads better than other courses. But for me, like, the way I put, I absolutely love mock X's. Like, it is my favorite, favorite basket to putt on. I think they catch putts that don't deserve to be caught. And maybe that's why I like it. <laughs> but. You know, like chain, chain star, chain star pros are my second favorite basket. Like absolutely love chain star pros. I think they look really good and I think they catch really well as well. And like, they're not gimmicky. There are so many baskets that are very gimmicky. Um, and then the, uh, gold band end of a baskets, the disc catchers. I think those are all incredible baskets. And I'd love to just see that one pro tour basket at every single pro tour course. And I think it would look better marketability wise for okay. like TV. For, for those who are curious or newer to the sport, there is a PDGA approval process for baskets. So it's not just go out yeah. and make your own cardboard basket like we can have a course and yeah. run a PDGA event, but it's not standardized. And that's the difference between the conversation here. Um, I like your points, Nick. The chat, I just want to give them a little bit of credit here. They're saying things like, hey, others like football and soccer, different surfaces, different stadiums, different um, turf conditions, including tennis being different too. You have clay, you've got grass natural you've got whatever else there um i've said this before like in rock climbing and I, we're going off on this tangent i said hey there's different disciplines do you boulder do you lead climb do you uh whatever it is with the discipline speed climb um campus climb which is no legs literally just climbing with your arms can disc golf also demonstrate different disciplines and i think just inherently in disc golf that's true you a good course is going to challenge all of your disciplines but I'm saying sometimes, and I think I heard all of you saying this as I wrap it up, that tee pads can do that. Hole four at Maple Hills, Nick mentioned, it's a small tee pad. You don't really have a run up. That's a challenge for some players, but some you just got to learn, hey, I have to be able to practice that shot. I've got to be able to do it. Uh, I think we went off a little bit funny there with the dogs and the bees and all that. But to some, they have a, they're petrified of an audience and they make it to the lead card and that might be unfair for them. If you use the word unfair, like, I'm petrified of audiences and I made the lead card. Now it feels unfair, but we would say, no, that's experience you're gaining. 
So I kind of feel that a little bit. The longer you're on tour, the more tee pads you hit, the more baskets you find, you learn how to putt these baskets versus those. But generally speaking, I'm in agreement. We should see a standardized process, generally speaking. I would like to see that as well. Um, I will say thank you very much, Dion, for coming in last minute. It was excellent. Um, and everybody that was helping run the show, this is growing. Tonight we had one, two, three, four, five, six different people as part of the show. So um, excellent. If, if we're wrapping up here, we got to quickly cover a couple of things that happened in the All-Star, All-Star event. Uh, I mean, one Eagle McMahon throwing lefty multiple times and I think getting birdies both times on his drive lefty, one in doubles uh, with help mm-hmm. from his partner probably, uh, and then one singles, and then I think an upshot as well. I'm not too sure. But with the forehand injury, throwing lefty and actually looking really good is very impressive. I actually had that in my notes. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, is Eagle injured? Or is he just recovering and uh, doesn't? Yeah, maybe not fully recovered. I think a little bit of confidence recovering. and not trying to push it. It made me, I, there was a period of time, three or four months, where I started playing lefty because I had injured my right arm. It can be doable if you put enough time into it, but he's doing it very well. <laughs> so, all right. Any closing thoughts, Nick, as we get ready to wrap this up? Or are you good? No, I think that's genuinely or generally pretty much everything that's been going on i'm super excited to watch some vegas action unfortunately i will not be out there but um in the next few weeks i i actually i'm not going to do that because i hate it when other people do that but i'm super excited for vegas coming up my first big event will be waco so i'm very excited for that one and uh i i think that's pretty much it all right hey thanks dion thanks again i want to give you last word because you're a guest on here i don't want to just close it out without you saying anything so Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate appreciate you, Matt and uh, Nick, for bringing me on. And uh, thanks for letting me represent the other third of uh, a stat Mando. And and <laughs> uh, uh, well, big big shout out to Hans uh, back back uh, holding down the fort. And uh, are you Evan allowed and I to tease out? Over... Are you allowed to tease out any like? I'll just say any podcast stuff. Like I'm not saying you're doing anything, but are you allowed to tease oh, that so, out? So, it sounds like you might already know. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So Evan and I will be in Vegas um, at the LVC having fun. And uh, we are close to sort of closing out our agreement with disc golf pro tour and what that would entail for the season. Uh, one of the things that would be part of that would be um, putting together our own podcast. So for everybody who didn't think tonight was nerdy enough, they can get an even uh, deeper and nerdier take on the sport uh, on the Stat Mando podcast. There we go. There we go. Awesome. Excited for you guys. All right, Nick, go ahead and close us out. Cool. Hey, everybody, really appreciate you guys tuning in tonight. Uh, to anyone listening post audio, uh, find us on all your favorite podcast platforms. We greatly appreciate you tuning in. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Capital Discs. Thank you for being a sponsor of the show. Everyone live in studio tonight. I want to thank the chat. You guys have been awesome tonight. Before I say my final spiel, don't forget to click like on the video. Click the little thumbs up button. Only takes a few seconds. Helps us out. It gets the word out more. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Maybe we'll do a 5,000 subscriber giveaway. Who knows? And uh, tell someone you love them this week. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone. We'll catch you in the next one. We don't have 5,000 because we went over to Foundation and then we gave a lot of our followers there. So we're still growing our channel. And then bring back the tone, the tone holes. Like, forget baskets. We need to hit some bells. Like, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, with all that being said, for, don't forget to go over uh, Daddy Mac Discs is giving away discs through 
Capital Discs. So go find their Instagram, Capital Discs on Instagram. Buy stuff, use Nick and Matt code. With all that being said, uh, I forget all the names here. We're going to go with Dion. You're awesome. Evan, you're awesome. Ben, you're awesome. Nick, you're awesome. Let's get out. Peace. Cheers. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or join the conversation live on YouTube. 